Hi, I'm Kelly Wan, so-called international treasure and freelance movie rating adjuster, here with the pointless question. When you gamble with money, do you prefer to win, quote, money back like losers do, or the not-quite-once-in-a-lifetime chance to make three men on the internet sit through a movie you chose and then have to express opinions on it? If your answer was, I wasn't listening, congratulations, you're probably not alone. The 2017 third annual quarter to three make us watch whatever you want fund drive. That's fund with a D. Do you think you have a movie that would be as fun to hear us talk about as previous winning entries, such as Why Did I Get Married 2 and The Goonies? To enter, simply donate at least a dollar to paypal.me forward slash QT3 or the 3x3 at quarter to 3.com PayPal account and put the movie title you're voting for in the PayPal comment section. Typing movie titles in a box has never been more anything. Every dollar you donate earns you a single vote, so the more you, quote, invest, the better your odds of Pyrrhic victory. It's like pay to play, but without the play. If you can think of a better use for money, I'll deposit it. The deadline is March 12th, 11.59 p.m. PST. The winner will be announced in our March 12th Skull Island episode and the God help us subject of our March 19th Extravapalooza. Sorry, Beauty and the Beast. We already know how you end. A teacup turns into an old woman. Let's face it, after boring... 2016, it's time to finally vote on something that really matters. And believe me, if you're worried it's hackable, just look what won last year. So what are you waiting for? Log into paypal.me forward slash QT3 today and give your voice a chance to be heard. Although we'll be the ones doing the talking. Thanks for not choosing anime. And remember, behind every great fortune is a goodbye. Welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Logan. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here with Christian Murkowski. I'm a nonagenarian, actually. With our Logan tagline, we have Kelly Wand. The most R-rated Hugh Jackman superhero movie since Chappie. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't remind us of that. Oh, my gosh. You need perspective. I'm the only one who understands that. All right, we'll move us past that one. What else? Or who just wrote that joke? I mean, (laughs) bad news, Trump voters. The new Wolverine's not from Canada. Is that true? Oh, wait a minute. We'll talk about that in a minute because I wondered about that. (laughs) That where the Wolverine's Canadian? I thought he was, but the movie didn't seem to acknowledge that. Well, he's playing Australian, so they have to kind of (laughs) go. Kelly, one. Are there three taglines for Logan, or just two? It's like Deadpool, but without jokes. I mean, that could actually—you uh, could run that. I mean, yeah. kind of, yeah. Yeah, that's how you grade them. <laughs> that one would work for real <laughs> instead of the stone gibberish you wrote. You told us a second ago. It—it's coma pool. Coma. Uh, what else you got for us? Is that sometimes great things come in threes. Do great things come in fours in this instance? Well, that was four. No, it wasn't. It was three. It's a good point. Uh, comic books are fake news. Had that one. Uh, okay, it's cute. Yeah, I like that. His best since with Nail and I. <laughs> oh, well, actually, that's true. <laughs> so yeah. that one also is a legit tagline. Actually, what is the tagline for Logan? Dingus, it sounds like something you would know. Here he is again. I know. Here he is again. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's my. 
I didn't have any before. <laughs> I have no idea. All right. Well, thing is, if you don't know the Logan tagline, what do you know? Yeah, I do know. I do know up. that this week we saw Logan. Mm-hmm. It's a 2017 American action drama sci-fi anti-superhero franchise movie about letting go. It was directed by James Mangold and written by him with Michael Green and Scott Frank. A ton of other people have characters credits, so you can look that up. Uh, it stars Hugh Ackman, uh, Patrick Stewart, Daphne Keene, Boyd Holbrook, <laughs> yeah, Stephen Merchant, <laughs> and Eric <laughs> LaSalle, previous, previously from ER. I know. I was so I was so pleased when I put that together in my head. I was like, oh, that's why I know that name. Ah, uh, yep. you guys watched ER. Oh man, I loved ER. Yeah. Some what? of us were some of us were on ER. Oh I loved early ER. ER ended up sucking, but man, early ER. And I think Eric LaSalle even left. I I was yeah. yeah. It's before it anybody knew who George Clooney was. You're like, whoa, who's this cool doctor dude? He's kind yeah. of he awesome. Out. He left. Is he related to Rosemary? Right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Logan is rated R. Oh, come on. No. Why? <laughs> For strong, brutal violence Ow. and language throughout mm. and... For brief nudity. What? Uh, <laughs> Merchant? Ivory. The Deadpool teaser? I have no idea. Huh. I don't even know what the brief nudity is. I mean, he does really rack brains. Shirtless. There's no strip club like Deadpool where hookers mm. were. Is there an autopsy butt or something? Um, according to... <laughs> I'm a fetishist for that, by the way. Should I announce uh, that? Apparently, a woman flashes her breasts at some point. Oh, no, that's right. Of course. Yeah. The Girls Gone Wild prom night bit, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, driver. Oh. Yeah. Kelly, one, I'm surprised you forgot that. I felt like Wolverine about it. Been <laughs> on that day. Yeah, yeah. Kelly, one, is there anything else that the MPAA should include in that little ratings warning? I would give it a hard G. Um, yeah, you would. I thought there were way too few f bombs. Uh, children using ducky scissors, some freeway horses, and a lack of adult situations. <laughs> freeway horses. Yeah, that's like smoking to me, Tom. What cigarette smoking is to you in the movies, freeway horses really get my dander up. <laughs> Then I start talking like this. Uh, <laughs> at, least, at least it wasn't freeway horses throughout. <laughs> that was the nudity. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has a 93% positive uh, rating for this. Whoa. Metacritic, what? 93%. What was Fury Road? 96 or 93? 97, I thought. 97, I like that. Okay. That's why 97s are common now. Like, oh, yeah, it's true. Metacritic, the average rating amongst various reviews, is 77 for Logan. Hmm. Cinema score, let's see what idiots thought of this. They were like, yeah, it's pretty good. They gave it an A-, which means not quite as good as A Dog's Purpose and just a smidge better than Fifty Shades Darker. (laughs) That's a lot of judgments. They give give everything an A-, though. 
don't they? Basically. Isn't that the most common grade? Um, They're trying to show that they're a little discriminating. It ain't minus. Well, what it really is is these are only people who go to see a movie of their own volition. It's not like a, a sample group. It's not like a test, a focus group or anything. They go to see this movie of their own volition on a Friday night. And my theory is that most people refuse to admit they were disappointed, if they even have that sort right, of Right, in front of the, uh, the But you just don't want to admit that you wasted your Friday night. Right. Uh, so a lot of times really yeah. crappy things will be eh, B plus. Eh, OK, a B. You know, when they're really angry, like rings, they're like C. Yeah. You know, there's no F's. Fifty Shades Darker wasn't my worst Valentine's Day. B plus. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it made the same on its opening weekend as X-Men Origins Wolverine. Hmm. Uh, the first one with lame Deadpool. <laughs> uh, the one I didn't see. Uh, the, Dingus, the one I didn't see. Dad yeah, Dingus lame. likes it. Dingus yeah, loves is. it. Yeah. Lame Deadpool. Ryan Reynolds is hardly lame Deadpool. How dare you? Wait, that's right. You think he's better in that as Deadpool than in Deadpool, right? Or am I dumb? Both things can be true. I might have fabricated that completely, but it's. I just want to believe it. Uh, now, that said, this being an R-rated movie, it's an important distinction. Uh, the the X-Men Origins Wolverine movie was PG-13. Of course, it did well. Uh, I think it was uh, it was positioned you – know, I, I don't think there had been any franchise fatigue or anything yet. So, of course, that did well. But this did well for an R-rated movie. It's the fifth biggest opening for an R-rated movie with uh, $85 million for its opening weekend. Wow. Uh, if we rank That's... all the R-rated openings, it goes Deadpool – <laughs> and then yeah. it, we have a bit of a we have a bit of a slope because then it goes <laughs> Matrix Reloaded, American Sniper, Hangover Two, and then we get uh, yeah. that's a, what a strange. There's two sequels in there, plus the uh, three I uh, forgot already. Three. Well, uh, Logan, Matrix Reloaded, uh, Hangover uh, Two are sequels. Deadpool, yeah. arguably, uh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, they're the, what's notable about them is that they're R-rated. Uh, is the studio Matrix the Reload is the softest star I ever saw in my life? There I said it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's soft just, on a lot of fronts, Kelly Wand. Yeah. See, Kelly Wand, let's get hard <laughs> with a. Oh wow. my God! Please let me edit that out. Hold on. Let me back up. Edit that no. out. Oh, good. Edit it Kelly, louder. Kelly Wand, let's do something more solid with a Logan. Can you do that editing. <laughs> <laughs> you just turn up the volume. Perfect. That's what was missing. I'd rather That's make a poop. Star Wars hit. It was too quiet in that first draft. Save me, Kelly Wong. Get me out of this with a Logan synopsis. Maybe there was a cut of Star Wars where the there there was no sound in space. Like Asimov was on stage, like yeah, that's how it should be. And then he left. And I went, all right, let's put this back. Okay, back to what you were talking about. You know, Isaac Asimov's Star Wars movie. Logopsis. There's a black screen while we hear Wolverine coughing and muttering. Oh, fucking sick of this role, Jesus. <laughs> the screen loses interest and turns into some Mexicans carjacking Wolverine's limousine. <laughs> Wolverine shambles out of the trunk and goes, guys, fucking please. You fucking don't want to do that. You're in a fucking Wolverine movie. Fucking all rated. Hopefully not for sex. It's the only fucking girl in this is 10. Next an extra with a speaking part, Saul. I don't think you hear so good, Holmes. He cocks his shotgun. 
And he's all, uh, wait, pretend I did that first, then said that. The thing about the hearing. Come on, guys, don't make me have to drive home on that stupid ex-car plane thing again. Ugh. The Mexican shoots him. Then he's all, you got a deal. But, wait, uh, pretend I said no, but before I shot you. Sorry. Mi espanol, that's muy dinero. Wolverine kills him R-ratedly, then all the other carjackers hard PG-ly. As he gets in the limo while music plays, he looks at us and goes, This ought to be X-rated since X-Men. Anyway, just pretend all the other movies were this violent, like you did when you saw them. It's like watching Luke Grant after the Mary Tyler Moore show. Like, he's not funny anymore, but he's still the same character. I don't get that one myself. And if this does well, you might just get that G-rated swordfish, too, you always wanted. Storm walks on screen and shows him. Wolverine winces and blocks the view with his claws. Freeze frame on his wits. A word's all logopsis. Storm moves so her boobs are inside both the O's. <laughs> yeah, I cast Halle Berry. Made a go. She was really excited about this role. No razzing this year. The best swordfish, yeah. She's only... She's... Never mind. Marvel and DC... Okay. Some 70s music plays. Some numbers are all 2029 AD. Kushner presidency. To be nice... <laughs> Stop. Oh, you're hurting me. Why would you say that? You, <laughs> once you get back here, you're not going to be able to say those things. You know that, right? Because if I say it, it's crazy and it won't happen. It's like a reverse Final Destination. To be nice, Logan goes to the funeral for all the carjackers he killed, who are all being buried in a mass grave in the rain. <laughs> While he's there, a Mexican lady looks at him and goes, You are the Wolverine. I prefer your earlier, funnier ones. Thank you for killing all my brothers. Wolverine scowls and tries to hide his face behind his claws again. He's all, Fuck off! I've rejected me celebrity lifestyle to live with an albino. From now on, I don't want to be anywhere near famous people. That's why I became a limo driver. <laughs> Plus, it's the only gig that doesn't interfere with my alcoholism and deteriorating vision. Bit annoying driving the claws out, actually. Anyway, no child's love can ever penetrate me, Adamadium Hot. That's me real point. Please, you must take my goth daughter to a pile of rocks arbitrarily called Eden. I read all about it in the newer X-Men issue number 163. It was the most profound piece of literature and cartography I have ever accosted a hirsute funeral goer over. <laughs> I, think, I think my name is Senorita. She holds out an envelope thick with $1 bills. Wolverine drives off. He drives to a diner where his British albino friend Steve Merchant lives. His mutant superpowers burning to death if exposed to sunlight. <laughs> As Wolverine comes in, Steve Merchant's all, That old man you keep prisoner keeps trying to read my mind. Masturbation's growing awkward. Why do we keep him in that metal sphere again? It doesn't do anything. Wolverine's all, Fuck off! Suddenly the camera starts shaking and they forget how to move or walk fast. <laughs> Their minds fill with Patrick Stewart's voice going, Engage! (laughs) 
Steve Merchant sighs and does the dishes in slow motion while Wolverine spacewalks to the sphere, picks up a hypodermic, and stabs Professor X in the groin. Professor X loses interest. Then he rolls around the sphere room in his wheelchair going, Get your maybe out of my green room. Welcome to Taco Bell, home of the Chalupa. Make it so. Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Homa, 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 homa. <laughs> He's really good at it. He starts crying and farting. Oh, Logan, what the hell could possibly explain us being here? Please don't make me read the comics. Well... I remember Phoenix disintegrated you in the Brett Ratner one. Then you came back as a kid with a weird eye and the Easter egg to that same film. <laughs> then Days of Future Past sort of Lindeloft it. Too bad, no matter how many times you come back to life, your legs still don't work. Then we met that blue mummy, Oscar Isaacs. Wait, that was the Avengers. Oh, Logan, I'm like a depressed old woman in this. Where's my blankie? <laughs> By the way, there's a young Mexican girl named something. She's somewhere. I have no time to listen to your ravings, old man. He carefully pulls the covers up to the tip of Professor X's head, then gently puts a pillow over his bulge and pats it. There. Now try not to pee yourself again. I need to go do heroin and get carjacked again. Also, feel free to kill that albino. He annoys me. I'm not sure what he's doing here. Wolverine walks outside and waits till a limo pulls up. He opens the door and gets in. A guy with rose-colored spectacles is waiting for him inside. Wolverine's all, Wow, I've never been in the back of one of these before. Feels similar. What the fuck, there's alcohol? You must be Wolverine. Jeez. (laughs) So their accent. And you must be Cyclops. I'd know those stupid glasses anywhere. I'm not Cyclops in this. My name's something else. I might be in the comics. You're also not the only one who's got a metal hand. He raises a metal rake sticking out of his right arm. Wolverine's all. Uh, How do you... With my other hand. (laughs) Thought maybe a penis was also adamantium. I think it's CG. I can't actually make a fist with this hand. For legal reasons with Disney, we can't say I'm a mutant. We have to say quasi-human or semi-enhanced. Tell me where the Mexican girl is or I'll have to get out of the car. I don't know any cause. Cyclops tries to snap his metal fingers. Eventually, on cue, his guards open the door and make Wolverine get out. (laughs) The limo drives off while Cyclops sticks his metal hand out the window and tries to give Wolverine the bird. Some refrigerator magnets come flying through Steve Merchant's kitchen windows to stick to his metal hand as he drives off, cursing and crying. Wolverine sighs and gets behind the wheel of his own limo. All the drunk hot girls in party dresses sitting in the back flashing their boobs at him, apparently, <laughs> who've been waiting all this time are all, Dude, promised 13 hours ago. You're like the worst limo driver ever. He's all, I need to make at least one more stop. He drives to a bunch of motels till he finds one with the Mexican woman in it. She's dead and her head's missing. He comes in and says to her corpse, Thanks for the money, but I'm afraid I can't take your daughter to go see the Baywatch or whatever the fuck. But here's your empty envelope back. He sticks it in her bloody neck stump, then drives home. When he comes into Steve Merchant's kitchen, the goth kid's there eating cereal. Professor X is watching her avidly from his wheelchair. He's all, Look, she's eating! (laughs) Damn it. I just told me friend Cyclops she was in cereal. Don't worry, the girl here threw a milk can at Cyclops' head. Clearly, she's a mutant based on that. 
He's unconscious somewhere outside. It's the perfect plan. She's still eating. While the girl (laughs) stares at them with her mouth full and dribbling white droplets, Steve Merchant's all, I'm afraid that's not milk, by the way. Wait, Cyclops Uh is unconscious from a milk can outside? Damn it. I mean, fuck. Sorry, audience. Albino character, you drive Cyclops out into the desert and figure out why on the way. I'll stay here and watch our Mexican 10-year-old friend here keep eating this cereal. Me get rid of the supervillain? I'm allergic to the sun. You're Wolverine. They march him out and lock the door. Within seconds, merchants captured by Cyclops' guys and the place is surrounded by black bands. Cyclops gets out and goes, Said you didn't call me, Wolverine. Not that I can use a phone with this hand. Hey, where are you going? I got more hand jokes. But Wolverine's driving <laughs> off with Professor X. While the Mexican girl starts killing all Cyclops' guys and they forget how to shoot at her. It's sort of R-rated, but she never goes for the nut since she's only 10, and I guess we're still not there yet. From Wolverine's limo's passenger seat, Professor X is all, Damn it, Logan! I'm not a box of avocados. Stop reading my mind! Also... Thank God we're free of child actors. The Mexican girl's blown into the car by an arterial spray. Wolverine scowls over at her. As they drive by, Steve Merchant in a cage is all, Guys, don't forget to rescue me. But they keep driving. (laughs) 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 Professor X is all, Logan, this is your daughter. I think in the comics her name's Manana. Nice try, Star Trek. I only have sex with Asian girls. It's canon. Plus, there's no such thing in this movie yet as new mutants or teen titans or veggie tales. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to focus on driving safely. He gets on the wrong side of the freeway and crashes into a horse trailer owned by some black people. The horses run around trying to get hit by trucks. Professor X tricks them. <laughs> thinking the plot of apocalypse at them till they fall asleep and walk back into the trailer globally (laughs) the black friends all thanks for your help mister he puts the horses and professor x back in his trailer as he's wheeled into place behind the farting horse professor x is all nonsense my children here shall help you change your attire he starts snoring as they seal him in the potential black friends all, well, a tire's not flat, but there's a tire store a couple miles that way. You could walk there buy me four new ones. Not a great use of time. Wolverine sighs and starts walking to the tire store. The black guy's son's all, my trait's listening to headphones. The black guy's wife's all, I don't have any. That night at the dinner table, everyone watches <laughs> as the Mexican girl keeps eating cream corn. Wolverine sighs miserably. <laughs> Suddenly, the power goes out. The black friend's all, damn, it's the electric company. I forgot to pay my bill again. He draws his gun. <laughs> Wolverine's all, I'll go with you, in case you're useless with that. They both drive to a power station and start flipping random circuit breakers till all the power in America goes out. <laughs> As they high-five, suddenly a bunch of guys in pickups with guns show up. The black friend's all, okay, Wolverine, just let me do the talking. The guys shoot him. Wolverine runs around stabbing their chins till they lose interest. <laughs> During some of his growling, 
Wolverine coughs and yawns to remind us this is his last movie till the next one. Meanwhile, in the desert, Cyclops tricks the albino into telling him where his next fight with Wolverine will be set by making the sun burn his skin off. Beside me, Dingus stands up and goes, Night, Zima! <laughs> what? <laughs> I knew that I would crush. I'm sorry. Meanwhile, in the Black family's house, the Black friend's son watches gloomily as the Mexican girl, quote, borrows his headphones. <laughs> He's all, I guess I won't listen to my music tonight. Great. <laughs> In the bedroom next door, Professor <laughs> sniffs the air as someone comes up to his bed and goes, Wolverine, is that you? I knew you liked me in this way. I was just too shy to be the initiator. I'm commando right now under these sheets. If you lift them, you'll see everything. You'll see it. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> A little to the left. Oh, a few minutes later, the Wura Wolverine comes home to find everybody dead except the Mexican girl and Cyclops there and all his men, only a few of them the same ones he killed in the last fight. <laughs> Cyclops is all, That's right, Wolverine, I found you somehow. Since you won't give me the ten-year-old girl, you, I just made a CG clone of you that's the same age as you. <laughs> Took me almost an hour. <laughs> and what do you even need the ten-year... I made... He drives off. Beside him on the passenger seat, dying Professor X is all... Killed by someone who looked like a friend with benefits. <clears throat> if only I had the ability to read minds. <laughs> Jesus, how'd you get here? They stop the car and bury Professor X shortly after which he dies. <laughs> to the Mexican girl. <laughs> oh, God, I'm dumb. To the Mexican girl, Wolverine's all. That's Wolverine, right? Wolverine's all. Now, pay attention and watch how an adult drives cars. He falls asleep and smashes into another horse trailer, this time killing a family of five. <laughs> the Mexican girl sighs and drives them to a cliff. Back in the horse family's front yard, Cyclops is all, Damn, they got away again. I really thought my metal hand advantage would be harder to two people with metal skeletons to counter. Come <laughs> on, oh, guys. In his cage, Steve Merchant's all. By the way, you know, I guess you guys didn't notice while I've been your captive the last couple of days that I'm holding these two grenades. He drops them and blows himself up. Cyclops sighs. After losing interest in driving, Wolverine is pulled up a cliff to be waited on by a bunch of goofy kids. I mean, they're super cute, all of them. They just don't fit in. To help him heal, they all giggle and cut his beard and mustache into a landing strip with the 30 pairs of scissors they happen to keep handy. Desert. The next day, Wolverine wakes up to find all the kids gone. He sighs with relief and goes, Finally! He finds a bottle of Windex along with a note that says, Only take near end of movie. Sign the kid characters. Wolverine guzzles the whole bottle instantly, then looks through a telescope at some oncoming black vans the bad guys use to conceal themselves in the forest. <laughs> Wolverine's all, damn, stupid kids. He goes down and runs around in the woods on foot till he finds kids and Cyclops' guys fighting. Doesn't he use most of his energy just running there? 
bad use of Windex. Just get a car. The mutant kids trick Cyclops by using their mutant powers to cover him with grass and make his metal hand cold. Stop, you're irritating me. I really wish I'd thought this encounter out a little more. Wolverine tricks his evil twin by dying to him. Then the little girl, Deus Ex Machina, is the evil Wolverine through the head with an adamantium bullet, which makes him look surprised and lose interest. <laughs> Richard E. Grant walks on screen and goes, my character's defeated as well. He walks off. <laughs> <laughs> the Mexican girl comes up to Wolverine and goes, my character can talk, by the way. I was just bored till now. <laughs> That's great, kid. Now help me get this giant log out of my abdomen. Also, if you could have any more of that Windex stuff, Papa could use a fix. She covers him with dirt, then, much to the distress of a nearby priest, knocks over a wooden cross to make an X shape. <laughs> <laughs> Looks at us and goes, Me doing this is the Easter egg, by the way. She stabs the, the wood. The end. <laughs> <sighs> Very nice, Kelly Wan. That was great. Oh, gosh, that's... All right, who wants to go first and give me an over-under on Logan? Uh, uh, my over-under, I just went with R-rated superheroes, so... There's only one. No, there's the Punisher. That's my under. Ah, under. very good, of course, yeah. How could I forget that? Yeah. I forget the... I, like I, the I kind of forget he's a superhero because he doesn't have, like, superpowers. He's just a mad dude with a bunch of guns. Yeah, and he doesn't wear a costume in the Punisher, really. And it's Thomas Jane just being Thomas Jane, kind of. And the popsicle's not that R-rated. Right, yeah. It's a cute gimmick, though, the popsicle bit. The second one's more R-rated. Kind of dumber. So he's he's pretending to torture a guy uh, by claiming he's going to to brand him with a a hot poker. And when he's behind the guy, where the guy can't see him, he sticks a popsicle against his back. And the guy screams, thinking that he's being touched with a hot poker. Because... I mean, a popsicle against your skin is uncomfortable. Who knows what a hot brand actually feels like? It's it's, it's a, just a cute little moment where it's showing that he's really ruthless, but not that ruthless. Like, no. he'll kidnap the bad guy and torment him, but he won't actually torture him. Mm. Well, at least he it wasn't, maybe would. It wasn't a frozen chocolate banana. Uh, I don't know what that's from. It's not from anything. Oh, well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it a bonafide popsicle. Popsicles Wait, are more colorful. Works? I guess because the shell. Never mind. <laughs> but um. So your under is that Punisher, not the uh, not, not what's his name, not uh, Ray. Oh shoot, who is that guy who played the, the Punisher? One the second one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not Ray. Uh, uh, that one I like that it's trying to be R-rated, but it's uh. It's not. He's not as an exciting a Punisher. Yeah, but he's also he looks. Yeah, it doesn't. He doesn't have sort of Thomas Jane's charm. Yeah. But they could do the Punisher as like what they're doing with Preacher. They should have just done Punisher instead of like retconning Preacher. Like you can do that on. I think you could do like an an R-rated Preacher. I mean Punisher series. Easier. Right. But also and, bugged me in the movie that he's a like a Cuban or no not Cuban, Jesus Christ a Miami <laughs> cop. And the villains are Cuban drug dealers. And in the comics, he's a Vietnam veteran. So like, I think that's kind of more fun. So we're implying that Miami is as bad as Vietnam. Yeah. 
that's not as exciting. So you're under. I mean, I, I yeah, Punishers are kind. Of, the Punisher, at least the first movie, is uh, it is for for an R-rated movie. It's kind of like Deadpool. It's he's not that evil. But it's Deadpool's not, really entertaining, right? And I I think it's more entertaining than Logan is. Like I like Logan. I guess. So Deadpool's your for it sounds like. Yeah, but I don't know if I'll ever watch Logan again. Um, and I wish it'd been actually more R-rated than it was. I think I was okay. a little disappointed in the R. Okay. Uh, but I like it as a movie. I think. <laughs> I don't. All right, know. So I, mean, I like the acting a lot. And so then, I think it's its best bet is to go as a movie. So I, I like that you like it as a movie. I like it as a movie. Yeah. As a book, <laughs> I think I would put it down. <laughs> But it was weird how they worked comic books into the lore. Um, yeah, that is very weird, and I wanted to ask you guys about that. Um, I mean, it's a huge plot point, but I'm not sure what it means. Like, if because either it's true or it's not, and it implies that the writer of the comic is one of the kids or something. Mm. I was just trying to understand, but but it looked well, like let's, let's hold off that and go around the table first. I mean, yeah. I, I, all right, we all, right, all right. want to talk about that, but Definitely. all right, Dingus, what's an over and under? What's a movie that's not quite as good as Logan, and what's a movie that's a little bit better than Logan? All right, the under uh, I would do for this um, would be Morgan. Uh, I haven't seen that. I want to. You probably should see that movie eventually. All right. You might um, understand a little better why, why Dingus and I made that weird little rowling sound about Boyd Holbrook. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the reasons I chose it, but also because I like this. Uh, uh, there's a little bit of connective tissue between uh, children being experimented on, basically. Um, and uh, my over would be I Am Legend, because uh, it's another one of those moments about let's make a break for the border and get a kid over there. Uh, and also the main character uh, isn't going to make it. Um, I really like this movie a lot. I liked it a freaking whole lot, and I'm surprised that I liked it as much as I did. So now it's over to you, Tom. So I'm not – I've never been uh, into comic books, and, and I enjoy that studios are making comic books for guys like me. They're they're sort of unpacking what I feel have historically just been power fantasies for, for boys, and I that, that's cool. I, I just skipped out on that and enjoyed other things when I was a kid. So I'm, I'm liking when – Movies take these comic book properties and they explore them beyond being just dumb power fantasies. Uh, and this is very nearly my favorite example of that. This came yeah. – and I'm not entirely sure yet where it's going to fit in there. But at this point, it lives a little bit underneath Dark Knight, which I I think is I, – I, Dark Knight is ideal just even as a story for me. Like that's what you should do with these characters and how you should explore them. Like Dark Knight – it's a Greek tragedy. It's about Apollo and Dionysus, law and chaos, and and it, it, it's a it's a cerebral but exciting movie. And there's 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 cinematic vision to it, and it ends with a conversation between two people. Uh, Dark Knight is an amazing thing, and it makes me think, man, I sh- wished I'd been into comic books because how much more would I have appreciated this? Uh, I love Dark Knight. I lionize it as a movie, and I think Logan is going to live. If not alongside that, at least nestled up very close underneath it. Because man, I loved what this movie did. Yeah. As far as a story, not a com- I mean, it used a comic book hero, but it used it to tell an important, I think, 
universal story uh, about humanity, about people, about what it's like. The, the dilemma of being an adult and a family, of, of caring for elderly parents and raising children. This is a it's, it's Wolverine, and the plotting is great. I think this is an amazing script, but it's Wolverine as an everyman trapped between senescence on one side and, and puberty on the other. And it's like the family man's dilemma in that position. And we know that, all he's lost. That in and of itself well, – well, actually, I'm not even sure what he's lost. Like I'm a little confused too about is this an alternate timeline? Is this rebooting yeah. anything? So, But I, I, none of that matters to me because all the baggage I have – I mean what I know about Wolverine is fine. I, I, had, I have what I need to know about him uh, to see him cast in this role as a story that's not just about aging. But what I think is brilliant about this script is it becomes about how – the point of this whole position, putting yourself between your parents dying and your children growing up and maybe growing away, the, the point of this is that you then plug into each stage of that. Is That's a place you belong at different points in your life. And this is this beautiful story about how that arc of a person's life is where a child will eventually take care of you. You know, mm-hmm. I love the bit where – and it doesn't get too sentimental with it, although at the end I feel it really pulls its punches too much. Uh, I think ultimately that's where it falls a little short of Dark Knight. Dark Knight was consistent throughout. I think this got a little sentimental for my taste by the time it was over. Um, yeah. But I loved how it shifted into a story about how she's taking care of him, and I didn't see that coming, uh, and I, I was just gobsmacked by it. So I, I adore this movie, and I, I can't wait to see it again. Yeah, me too. I'm with you. What do you mean uh, – real quick, what do you mean – elaborate a little bit about pulls his punches because um, – just tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, so the moment he shows up uh, – as soon as – so when a little girl shows up early, by the way, and I didn't – I presume you're like this, Dingus. I had no idea there was a little girl in this. I no, did not I no know idea. it was going to be that kind of little Miss Marker thing because uh, there's, there's a tradition of that, and, and it's great. You know, I, I – I, I mean, this this is a this is a formula that works for me. I love this sort of thing, um, but I had no <laughs> idea she was going to show up. And when she did, I got a little concerned that it was going to sort of get soft-hearted. And I really like that it didn't, and that Hugh Jackman as an actor and the script as a framework resisted that for as long as they did. Mm-hmm. But the moment he shows up with these little magical kids, I got a little bit disappointed. Getting this kind of Beyond Thunderdome vibe where yeah. it's set up yeah. a brutal, bleak world that is uncompromising and ruthless. And once kids are on screen, it eases up a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Now, this was nowhere near as bad. Like Beyond Thunderdome just just implodes on itself and becomes Peter Pan. It's nowhere near that bad, by the way. But uh, Too much ma- hope. Well, I don't mind even the yeah. hope, but I mm, mind – I mind that it's pulling its punches with these little magical kids. Uh, I I mind that because I thought their whole priority was just to shut the program down. If they had to, they were going to kill them. So I mind that suddenly they're just chasing them through the woods on foot. And like, why aren't they taking these kids out with snipers or an airstrike or something? Uh, I also mind a little bit the syringe ex machina thing uh, that, that, that we need like a magic drug to have an exciting set piece at the end um i wish but he has just... to make that choice so well but well you know, i don't know that he knows the choices make and, and i think that the movie's already anyway go ahead 
And I think the movie's already an anti-superhero movie by that point. And, and I think that he's already run. He's he's on his last few. He's on the, he's on his last fumes, and he knows that. I don't think you need that boost. I don't understand that. I really do feel that that was made for pacing purposes. That <laughs> they wanted no. a super like the action scenes, and this is kind of unfortunate because it's what I love about movies like Constantine and Dark Knight is when they end. You know, you need a cool action scene at the end, but it can end with with a conversation. It doesn't need to top every previous mm. thrill. And I think what's going on here is Disney, Marvel, whoever, thinking we need each action sequence more exciting than the last, and the final one has to be super cool and have all these exciting things happen. So we can't have a totally beat down Wolverine. We need this burst of power. How are we going to do it? Uh, magic button pressed. You know, give him a serenity. Oh, I see. Okay. So I and I'm with you, Dingus. I didn't think we needed that because I'm not sure that it was him. Him making a choice was going to save them, was going to intervene on their behalf. Him making a choice did not need and he knew he was dying. He'd already made the the choice to die, uh, Mm -hmm. to let himself die, by the way. Uh, So the choice was him rescuing the children, not injecting himself with the stuff that would accelerate his death, I presume. Uh, Now, now that said, um, I don't i'm okay with the end for two reasons specifically uh the fact that it ends up with a little punchathon uh sets up one of my favorite moments which i think is the movie is the is is the metaphor of the movie in a nutshell you know we've talked about movies and moments where you're like this is the point of the movie like casey affleck's i can't beat it uh like where where it just drives home the point of the movie poignantly and i love that james mangold wove this into an action sequence. Uh, this is an instance of fight choreography as character development. When uh, when he says when they're going into fight, and he says to her, "Get behind me," and then he runs forward to protect her, and then she uses his back to vault in front of him into the fight. Like just that image and what their bo- what their expectations are and their positioning and and just the, the spectacle of it. I mean, that was a beautiful moment and i think that was kind of the point of the movie is he decides he's going to protect her and she jumps out to protect him that was just amazing choreography yeah well she saves him too and this is another bit uh the the syringe ex machina bothers me the bullet ex machina doesn't because i think you made this reference in the synopsis kelly one i don't feel it's an ex machina the point of deus ex machina is this is just god coming into the machine and breaking things this god was never in the machine before we had a narrative drama about human beings and so in in drama you just bring god in to change something because you know what else are you going to do the bullet and that's kind of what the syringe is the bullet isn't that the it's bullet set up. i was just it's, fucking it's, around this right right right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 fair enough but but the bullet is set up and uh, you know, she she uses the thing he was going to use to kill himself. She uses that to save him, and she has taken it away from him. And there's a great moment where she takes it out of his hand. And again, it's kind of a metaphor here that children give you the will to live. They they take away the figurative bullet that you might consider as you get older and you think that life seems pointless, you know, children give you the reason to live, I I think. And that's kind of this idea that his suicidal tendencies are removed from him. Like a a child makes all the more horrific the possibility that you might opt out of life, Uh, is that you need to be in life, you need to be a part of life because you need to be there for a child. And and that 
you know, a child takes a bullet away from you like that. Mm-hmm. So I love, I love the use of the bullet and that as an action movie gimmick. Uh, go ahead. Uh, and, well, then, and, the, and she kills the old him by shooting him in the head. So there's that. Mm, not the old no. him. Well, or the, 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 the younger, reckless, the, the more reckless, emotionless, brutal part of him. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying, Kelly Wan, but yeah, you're oh, right. It's not, right. Okay. Um, it's sort of the him without humanity. Like she, she removes from the equation the soulless version of himself, kind of with mm-hmm. that bullet. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think um, the thing that bothered the only thing that bothered me about this is something I, I think both of you would just sort of like not care about is just I was a little kind of curious how they got to this point, and they don't really give me much backstory. That, is, mean, that is really weird, actually, because I don't know where this falls and how we got here. Um, because the last couple of movies, as far as Days of Future Past and Apocalypse, are in and I don't, on a way different note. Well, I just don't know where this sits in it. And then I'm thinking about Wolverine and X Men Origins. Well, Wolverine was you, you mean you guys really like that movie? That was, that's another James Mangold movie, um, it, which is much much more along the lines of a superhero kind of movie. It's it's slick, it's beautiful, it looks beautiful. Um, this does not. Uh, I mean, it looks beautiful in its own way, in a different way, like a Western almost. Um, and I'm fine with that, but I didn't know where we were. But I, but I And that bothered What's me a little bit of? early on, because I, I was kind of confused about why is he deteriorating what is the what is poisoning him where are we in the timeline what drug has he been given does he have his powers does he not have his powers what's going on but as the movie went on and i realized what a what a what a non-superhero movie it was and almost in some some points was like a super horror movie um i was fine with that i i i just the movie kind of eased me into it and that's why i agree i would agree with tom that i think the script is just fucking fantastic yeah, I don't think – I'm glad it didn't have any setup, Kelly Wand, because I, I was even thinking, well, what did I – because I didn't see the X-Men Apocalypse guy, movie with you guys, so I didn't know if I was missing some sort of setup there. And I vaguely remembered from the time split one that one version of Wolverine died and another one went on, but maybe he didn't die and this was him. And, and Professor anyway, what, X, too, like where he's at. Yeah, and what, yeah, exactly right, and whatever the case was – I have to admit I didn't care because I got what yeah. the movie wanted me to know is that, okay, we're going to fast forward from the, you know, this, this, this brilliant mind and this powerful, vital, masculine presence. We're just mm-hmm. going to fast forward and see what time has done to them. And right. anybody over the age of 30, 40, anyone our age understands that fast forward i don't need to know okay after westchester they then went to this place and then they went here and then they ended up in juarez i didn't need to know any of that because i understand that yeah time gets uh, gets away from you and suddenly it's 20 years later and and you're older and your father can't articulate a thought um so what little world building was in here i found just tantalizing enough to whet my appetite and and Leave me satisfied. To leave me satisfied, I I could have filled in Um, most of those blanks. The one that bothered me a little, the most maybe, was just the fact that there aren't any new mutants being born according to what they say. Well, and and that's very children of men, isn't it? It's very children. That's that's just kind of written off as they just want you to take that as an assumption. Uh, But it's because they were hunted, or 
Is it just a genetic flu? Well, didn't didn't they they made those big old those robots to hunt down? Yeah, and you pass laws against them, and like I got that's where. Well, well you've got uh, you've got other things where where they they pass legislation in order to get the right. mutants to take drugs to not be mutants anymore. I mean, right. all of I think I think this movie kind of unifies those things in a weird way, and and it's a movie about letting go, not just about letting go. Um, in the way that Tom was talking about earlier, as far as looking after a parent, looking after a child, just making a decision that, about letting go in, in those types of ways. Um, but it's also about James Mangold and, and company telling us it, it's time to let go of these characters. And, and Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart being brave enough to play the parts as older characters and 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 let go they're letting go of of those characters as well and not trying to appear uh young and vibrant anymore as tom said about the masculine version of um of wolverine i mean i think this movie really is not not only about letting go personally but letting go of instructing us you know whatever a studio does in the future if they if they spawn another wolverine in, in some other guys this character is gone now and you just deal with it this that's what this is and, and we're going to help you let go of that yeah i i i if that happens i this i, I call this canon i'm calling it right now uh no, yeah, i'm totally no with backs. you no take backs this is what happened to wolverine don't 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 yep. make me think other don't pretend otherwise studios uh yep. so i kelly one i can kind of understand though this idea that especially if you're invested in that world and if you're uh, more hip to some of the details of it, uh, that you must be thinking when they reference Westchester and they say something like the, those of us, like like the implication is that all the other X-Men we know got killed at Westchester. Yeah. They mm. are all dead. <laughs> like that's the implication yeah. is that's why they're not around to help here. You know, Dingus is we, – we tease him for that, that – Rightful question, you know, where is Iron Man at this point? Why isn't uh, why isn't Superman helping here? They kind of answer that here in terms of the X-Men universe is they blew it. They killed them all. Uh, they're gone. And then we introduce – I forgot what they call this event, but then no more mutants have been born. Uh, so that right there kind of seals up that question. And then they tease you with little bits about what it's like in 2029. Uh, you know, tigers are extinct. I love – that's a great bit of writing. There are a couple of great bits of writing here I want to call out. Mm. But when, when Boyd Holbrook says that bit about, you know, oh, it's either Freddy Krueger or a tiger, and we know that's not true because one owns fictional and the other one's extinct. And then he just moves on. It's a throwaway comment. Right. Uh, you know, Maybe this, he meant the other thing was extinct. Tigers I didn't understand. I, I thought that Freddy Krueger was a poor reference. Well, why? For, for 2029. <laughs> Uh, Dingus, if you think that Nightmare on Elm Street will not be revived between now and, 19, and 2029, uh, I have a, a, a Wolverine prequel to sell you. <laughs> okay. I do, I do love that thing about tigers, though, but the Freddy Krueger thing, I'm like, wait a minute. Who in the world other than us is going to know this? But this movie is kind of directed to us, and it is kind of – well, it the movie doesn't shy said. away, by the way, from from making jokes and references to kind of pop culture with that whole comic books bit. Right, um, right. Yeah. Fred Krueger has the same claws as Wolverine, though, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I understood the reference, but I didn't think younger people would it's get it. it and I certainly don't under, I don't think it would be a, a reference that would float in 2029, which I know is only like 11 years away. It's coming so. up. And, and when you think, I mean, the last the last Nightmare on Elm Street movie with Jackie Earl Haley was that three years ago? 
Uh, All right, fair enough. Five yeah. years but, but but that's I mean it is it's like in Usual Suspects when they brought up the Hulk. You know, I know that Brian Singer was like, ah, I wish I hadn't done that pop culture reference. You know, those are definitely conscious decisions. So mm. I imagine they decided, okay, can we get? I'm hoping at least that they were that careful. The, the script was otherwise really careful with stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, you know, and and even that it didn't get too crazy with the little futury stuff. Uh, like when those automated trucks showed up, I wasn't. Uh, that was cool. It just it played it so cool. Like it wasn't like, hey, here's this cool idea we got. It's just at a certain point, I was like, wait a minute. Oh, oh, right. It doesn't have a trailer on the, or it doesn't have a cab on the front. Uh, interesting. So here's our future truck bit. Uh, yeah. And I, uh, yeah, and those so things I, out in the in the cornfields, those yeah. those like crop things, they they just seem to be. Uh, James Mangold seems perfectly content to have those as sort of background. This is part of the future that I'm painting. Yeah, kind of just looming over. A, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's not going to show off this thing. It's just going to, you know, it's back there in the background, just like Hoyd, uh, Lloyd, uh, uh, Boyd Holbrook's comment about tigers. It's just something that's going to flash up briefly. And yeah, right. we're not going to linger on the world building. We're just going to sort of dole it out slightly. Uh, I like that a lot. Yeah. Limo driving's the same. <laughs> uh, even that limo, by the way. You know, hey, let's put fins on the front of a car. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so our listeners really like this movie. I'm just gonna. I'll just lay it out for you. Um, the, Chris Webb just said one thing. He said, "I knew I was in good hands when a little girl got a spear through her stomach." Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. Yeah, yeah. So can we? I want to hear what listeners say, but let's talk briefly about this Daphne Keene chick. Yeah, uh, let's do that. Uh, so my thinking, why her. The, the adult expressiveness that she had uh, was uncanny, and it reminded me of Isabella Furman in Orphan. It reminded me of Cameron Bright and everything that Cameron Bright has done. But this kind of adult presence that some children actors can have was amazing in this little girl uh, and so appropriate, too, for this role. Uh, and I also love, again, I didn't know there's going to be a little girl in here when mm. – we see the, the Hispanic woman has a daughter. I was like, okay, he's going to save a family. And the Hispanic woman dies. I was like, oh, okay. Well, she's obviously either carrying secret data or, I don't know, maybe she's telepathic or something. And, and they imply that she's got power. And I'm like, yeah, okay, she's got to be like some telepathic kid like Looper or something. And then when the, the claws come out, I was like, oh, my God, that is such a cool idea. And it didn't even occur to me until later in the movie I know what X-23 is from these dippy Marvel versus Capcom fighting games because mm -hmm. X-23 is this like super hot chick who has claws. She's like a chick Wolverine, and she's like super hot. It never once occurred to me that she was ever a little girl. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean obviously she was, but it never once occurred to me that there was ever a little girl with claws and foot claws, which you know I looked it up, and that's exactly from the comic books. I had no idea that was coming, and I was so delighted at this – this story twist for me and especially how this little girl did that and also especially good lord the fight choreographer with choreography with her i don't know like doing hit girl in, in kick ass with, with uh, uh chloe moritz grace obviously there was a, a little stunt man was doing some of that but in this case i don't i don't know if some of that was cg or if they really were stringing up a, a stunt kid on on wire work um but I think a lot the, of it is CG. I wondered about that. I wondered it feel, about the that. movement feels more like Rocket Raccoon than it does feel like Hit Girls. Ah, 
Sure. And it also reminded me, and you, I mean, I love the examples you brought up, Tom, but she reminds me a lot of uh, Lena Lind- Linderson. I don't know how you say her name. Um, oh my gosh, exactly, Dingus. Wow. I, why didn't I think of that? Absolutely. Yeah. And and even the way the movement works reminds me somewhat of, of that weird sort of stuttery, quick movement that happens in Let the Right One In. Well, and also how in Let the, the Right One In, she's not like a – I mean, I'm not saying she's she's not not pretty, but she's not this conventionally pretty right. child actor. Uh, and the same with the, the the young woman in Let the Right One In. Um, is there something definitely uncanny looking about her? Um, yeah. And they they use that to great effect here. Um, she's like the girl from VHS. Who's the girl from VHS? The one who goes, "I like you." Huh? You mean me? Oh, <laughs> Hannah Fierstein. Fierstein. Hannah Fierstein, though, is a yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that's that's more about sexuality, but yeah, there's some of that kind of awkwardness to her look, yeah, to her aspect. Uh, <laughs> I was but thinking, she just uh, does, she does seem other, especially in the fact that she doesn't talk. I mean, she has yeah. this other quality to her. And man, I love the fact that she's a little Mexican girl. Take that, Trump, you fucker. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping actually we were going to get more border crossing situation. I, I mean, I guess the movie's been in the can a little bit too long, but I was hoping we were going to have some some statement about what the border looks like in 2029 after a Trump. You know, I guess I'm glad that they didn't do that. That they stuck yeah. with the story about Wolverine and about a man at this point in his life, and that they didn't get too political. And save it for Machete. Save it for Machete. Very good, Kelly Wan. Very good. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, Chris uh, Markinson, by the way, agrees that. Uh, he he thought Daphne Keene was awesome, and he he thinks they use her effectively and made sure they didn't put her into any spots where she was out of her depth. Yeah, that, that, you know, Markinson exactly right because that's what we talked about with that uh, uh, let the monster in movie. What was that stupid thing called? Uh, Monsters coming. Shoot, what was that? What? Monsters coming. What was that monster movie where that let the monster? No, that poor little kid was left to act against green screen, and he was so out of his element. And he was just the tree? so. Yeah, the tree monster. Liam Neeson's a tree monster. What was that Mon- movie? When a monster oh. calls. A monster calls. Right, right. That's an example where the poor kid actor is out of his depth, and there was never like that little girl could could handle everything they threw at her, and they put her in difficult situations too. You know, I thought you were seen- talking about the Babadook for a minute. No, 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 no. <laughs> but, the poor you know, kid. Uh, having, I mean, I'm sure Hugh Jackman's super charming when the cameras aren't rolling, but having Hugh Jackman tell you to, you know, fuck off in every scene, that can't be easy for a little kid actor. Right, and they, right. they, I love how they didn't ease up on that for the most part. I love how, how just hardened they, they let Hugh Jackman play this character. Yeah. Um, God, that was awesome. And I love too, they, you know, as an old dude, he looks awesome by the way, but I love that mm-hmm. his eyes were all bloodshot. Like that's great. That's a great touch because, you know, actors want it, want they want to look good to a certain degree, and yeah, put yeah. old people makeup me whatever. But they actually made him look bloodshot, like an old drunk would look. I loved that. Right, and I love that. Uh, I love, and I, I mean, I realize this is a r- ridiculous thing to say. Uh, I think it's a brave. I think it's a brave thing. Like this is one of the things, and this is another James Mangold movie. And this is one of the things I talked about when we watched Night and Day, is that I thought that Tom Cruise let himself look the way he looks. Yeah. Um, that's a much glossier movie than this. This is not a glossy movie by any chance. But the fact that these two dudes, especially you know Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman, just said, "Yeah, just make me look how you're going to make me look." I'm done. You know, we're, we're this is where this is where we are. That's it. 
you know, I really like that. I really like that a lot. And as someone who's never really resonated that much with this whole Professor X character, uh, boy, did I love him in this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I loved this idea that, yeah, if your brain is this weapon of mass destruction, what happens when it starts going? Man, that was cool. And this idea, too, that he could just wipe out a city. You know what? Mm -hmm. He could take out a few city blocks. And and apparently that he did. You know, and he has to live with the guilt of this. And he has to remember that he did that. Uh, That Oklahoma City sequence was really great. Um, it, it reminded me a little bit of the end of Guardians of the Galaxy because of the weird time, like lapsing, like trying to grab onto things, and it just felt. Again, there are two two sequences in this two sequences in this movie that made me think of it as a super horror movie. That and the fact that the entire family gets slaughtered, and the movie's just that's what's going to happen. Everybody's going to die here. People are going to get stabbed in the head, and uh, and. The city might get destroyed. I mean, I really love the way that works. I love the way that his mind is going. And I, I love the fact that he says that that line about um, – uh, oh, man, I, now I can't quite remember it. Um, I always recognize you, but sometimes I don't know who you are, I think is what he yeah, says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Would this movie have been better without the tribe of kids? Um, I, so here's why – let me let me sidestep that and then circle back around to it, Kelly Wand, because I I want to bring up that I love how Wolverine is dismissive of the comic books that he picks up, mm. and in a way, it made me think. And I don't I don't know if this is the case, but in a way, it made me think that this is a bit of a commentary on comic book movies, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. when he when he picks them up and he's dismissive and he calls them, and I love this line. Ice cream for bedwetters. Yeah, that what is a great so, line. That is so dickishly dismissive. Uh, that's and that's great in character too. That's it's, it's in think. character, and it you know it, it made me think: is that kind of this movie's perspective because of how it's playing with it with its characters, how it's playing with with the, the brutality and the gore? Is that this movie's perspective on on comic book culture and uh, on on comic book movies? Um, so. It kind of left me with that for a little bit, and I thought that was a cool touch. But it, and it, and then it introduces too this idea that the comic book is a lie that that they it's tricked them all that it's tricked the the nurse and the little girl into thinking that there's actually an Eden. But the reveal with the little kids, Kelly Wand, and this is where I would say when you ask, would it be better without the kids at the end? The reveal with the little kids, I think, kind of ties into that. In that. Yeah, the comic book is a lie, but it is also literally a tool that brings these diverse outcast children together. You know, they use their shared experience with this comic book as a tool for survival by agreeing to meet at the coordinates that Eden has in one of these comic book panels. Um, so I liked that twist. I liked that reveal. Uh, I like how it both subverted and made fun of and also affirmed comic book culture. Yeah. Hmm. Do you think I, it would have been better? So, oh, well, I, I want to get at why you asked that, Kelly Wan, because you and I, I think, uh, are both sort of leery of, of happier sentimental endings. Uh, we both kind of uh, – are, are leery of how movies tend to lighten up when kids are introduced. Dingus is a little different being a being a parent. Um, why do you ask that, Kelly Wan? Do you think it would have been better without kids at the end? Because 
I think it would have been better without it. I think it because I'm just picturing it ending with them getting there and then she just goes into Mexico alone. At the end. You mean Canada? Canada, Canada yeah. <laughs> North, North Dakota is not really close to me. Right, as, right. As it turns uh, out. Because <laughs> uh, I'm with you, also, Kelly. Oh, go ahead. This, yeah. Just one last point. Like the scene where all the kids are using their mutant powers on the bad guy. That's from yep. another X Men movie, and I don't. I feel like that was kind of polluting the differentness of this movie. Like I didn't want it to be ending on the same with the exact same thing, and the. The fight with the evil Wolverine is different. That works on a psychological level, but like them beating up on that on that guy makes him seem incompetent. Like you said, they don't use sniper rifles or bombs or anything, and just the kids triumphant. And the, I don't know, it just seemed to ruin. It seemed to take. This is about Logan. I I think what they were going for, Kelly Wand, is they wanted it to be kind. And I don't think I agree with you that it doesn't fit. But I think what they're going for. And I, if they had pushed it, I might have been okay with it. They wanted it to be kind of horrific, you know, what happens to yeah. Boyd Holbrook. But they cover it up in grass, and they just do yeah. fly up with sound effects. That was disappointing. Like, if it had been like the kids at the beginning of, uh, what is it, Wild Bunch, where the kids are torturing the scorpion and the mm-hmm. ants and making them fight. Like, if it had been this little statement about how kids are brutal, I guess that doesn't really belong at that that's, point in the movie. That could have been an any X-Men movie of any rating, that part. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's not exactly Lord of the Flies at this point. Right. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, you, but, but I, I, yeah, they were wanting to go for this idea that he was crushed and frozen and twisted and suffocated right. by tree. Like it was supposed to be this, and it's really just villain payback, right? Like that—that's kind of what its narrative purpose serves. Is let's save the worst possible fate for the worst villain. I think that's how they probably wanted it. But to there's no out. kill shot of him dead, and Richard E. Grant gets off pretty easy, doesn't he? He gets a truck. He doesn't he get uh, shot? Uh, oh, no, 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 you're right. He gets shot in mid-speech. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Which I, I love. I think, I think one of – I think it might have been Chris Markinson who said that. The, the one person he kills, he shoots, <laughs> and it's the doctor. Wait, the one person who kills? One of the – isn't – it doesn't um, – doesn't Hugh – doesn't uh, Wolverine shoot him? Well, you Wait. say the one person – he kills plenty of people, though. Oh, all right. Well, maybe I'm wrong, then. Well, no, no, he, you're right. He shoots him, and that's kind of a moment is because we, we've had it set up, and this is a comic book contrivance, that he doesn't use guns. You know, that explains why he yeah, doesn't yeah, take yeah. a gun. Oh, so yeah, that's the what fact I mean. that he's, he's willing at this – oh, right, right, the one person that he shoots, right. He kills yeah. plenty of people, but you're right, Dingus. He just decides at this point he's had enough. He's going to use a gun, and he's not even going to let the bad guy do his monologue. Right. And I like that even in the background, Boyd Holbrook is kind of warning him at that point. Uh, <laughs> I love that moment, yeah. And yeah, I love that he used a gun. That, that yeah. was great. Did you notice the Wolverine doll at the end? Yeah, it was a little bit. I mean, a little we, much. Yeah, I mean, we'd already set up with the comic books, and see, I mean, that's where it's getting into a little bit of like, oh, Island of the Lost Children kind of territory. I, uh, but yeah, I, I did notice that, and it was it was a little precious. But you know, by that point, I was so far gone into the movie. I mean, it didn't matter. Yeah. I, I can't hold that against it, but. Um, if I was James Mangold, I wouldn't have put that little Wolverine doll in there. Okay. Right. Uh, let's talk about something here because um, I wasn't sure I liked this movie at the beginning. Uh, and partly it's because of that Deadpool nonsense before it. Okay, so Kelly Wand, what, uh, tell us what you thought of the little Deadpool thing before the movie. I didn't see it because I live in Germany, and they didn't show a Deadpool anything. But I think if I wouldn't have wanted to watch a 
a spoiler of Deadpool before this. So I would have wanted that to be optional. So it's yeah. not a spoiler. I mean, it's a it's a it's a teaser. It's clearly not a trailer. Right? Well, some trailers are teasers. It, it, it's not excerpts from the movie. Uh, it's a very fourth wall breaking. Hey, we're doing Deadpool two. I mean, nobody didn't know that, but it's it's uh, obviously a little spooling out of publicity uh, for uh, Deadpool. Uh, so, Dingus, why were you saying that? So, first of all, two things, Dingus. What did you think of it, and why are you saying it made you think about things that you maybe didn't like this movie? Well, first of all, I didn't realize that's what I was watching. I didn't realize I was watching a pre-button. <laughs> I, I didn't know that's what was going on. Um, I thought – I don't know anything about movies when I go into them. So I I just know that I'm going to see an R-rated movie. I've already had to tell my kid, no, this is another movie, a superhero movie that you're not going to be able to see, and that's that. Um, and then I went to see it, and it starts with Deadpool. And I'm like, Deadpool's in this movie? Really? Yeah, me too. I was kind of psyched. But you, go ahead. It's, it, it starts goofy. I mean, he, he's like, not on my watch, motherfucker. And then he goes in, and, and there's this extended thing in a phone booth. And I'm just sitting there getting more and more angry. <laughs> I thought just you getting, were watching Logan at that point. Uh, yeah, I thought I was watching the Logan movie and the, and that this was going to be the tone of the Logan movie. Um, and then it just turned out to be a pre-button and i really felt um i don't know i felt cheated uh and and you know it's one thing to to go back to the idea of having cartoons before movies or the way pixar does things you know to have a short before a movie but pixar never makes the mistake of matching one of their movies with a short that doesn't ah, fit its right. tone in some right. way right. and this violates the tone of this movie egregiously in my mind and it took me a long time to get back on track and i think that whoever decided to do that to put this pre-button before the movie with that tone before the tone of this movie this the the movie that this is and the message that this movie has uh it should be smacked upside the head because that having to watch that thing and then go into this really really pissed me off they didn't um, think about that at all because this marketing shit. I don't care. I, don't, I, know, I, I do not care because you're forcing me to basically watch a trailer, which I don't do. And I think I'm watching the movie and I feel like I've gotten the rug pulled out from under me. And I'm already kind of going into the movie with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because I can't take my kid to it because it's an R rated movie. And and so it's going to take me a little while to get into it anyway. And to, it, it really it, – it's it's presupposing that I liked Deadpool for one thing, and it's presupposing that uh, I will understand the tonal shift. Um, and I I just think it's unfair. I I do not like that at all. It really really pissed me off. So I agree with you, Dingus, that it's out of sorts with the tone. But here's why it's there. Uh, it, it is it is not out of sorts with the rating. They wanted to do an R-rated Deadpool trailer where he says motherfucker, uh, where mm -hmm. he shows his butt, where you can see a guy bleeding in the alley. Uh, so they are thinking of this not as necessarily tonally connected to uh, Logan, but they're thinking of this as, hey, this is the new – this is the sort of the R-rated uh, side of the Marvel Universe. So this is a place we can put uh, a Deadpool teaser. Um, so, but I agree with you. It's it's weird to have uh, rating system. 
justified again. Well, I, I, I love the fact – it turns out I love the fact that Logan is rated R because my kid doesn't need to say this well, for a variety of reasons. Well, I, I, but yeah. for a good variety of reasons, Deadpool is R, and it's just vulgar. This is not vulgar. This is an adult movie. Logan is an adult movie in all the best ways. Deadpool for me was just vulgar. That's why it's R. I don't think they're the same thing. They're they're they are under the same rating, but I don't think they're the same thing. Right, but but to Disney, this is a this is a, a legitimate subcategory of the Marvel universe. There's yeah. the X Men, you know, and that that by for certain reasons is kind of self contained. There's the I don't know everything that's not X Men that's self contained. There's Spider Man that's self contained. There's right. there's R rated Deadpool and uh, and Logan and like Kelly Wan said maybe we'll get some more Punisher in there and that's self contained. Uh, but but I agree with you, Dingus. Yeah, it's completely out of sorts with the movie we're going to see, and of course it is because it has no connection to it whatsoever. Yep. It, I enjoyed it because I I lo- so I don't think I mentioned, but my under is uh, Deadpool as yeah, far as how how movies are playing with comic book properties and they made Deadpool an adult cartoon kind of. And I, I liked that. And, and Deadpool consistently was nowhere near as good as Logan and certainly not dark Knight. but I just respect that they're doing that. So I, I, as a fan of Deadpool, I, I thought it was cute. Yeah. But I'm with you, Dingus. It was a commercial. I'm not happy about being shown a commercial after the movie has technically started. I mean, mm-hmm. stick it, you know, stick it with the trailers and get your goddamn advertising out of the movie I'm watching. I'm with you there. <laughs> but I kind of understand why they did it. But don't, yeah, don't try to trick me and just put it in the damn trailers already. We have we have red band trailers for a reason, Disney. Right. You know, use it. <laughs> and boy, the boy, the crowd that I saw this movie with. Um, there, there are two moments in this in this movie. They all laughed um, when uh, Patrick Stewart tried to speak Spanish. Um, and at the very end of the movie, after all the credits, the whole everybody who had stayed throughout the credits groaned. And some dude behind me goes, "You could have told us," meaning there was no button at the end. I got I got that groan in the audience as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I might have been one of the people who did it. Uh, I, it was yeah. <laughs> By the way, there was no – am I correct? Please, please tell me that I am. There's no Stan Lee cameo, right? No, he got cut. No. Nice! Yeah. <laughs> See? All right, so let's talk about the R rating. Dingus, uh, you resented Deadpool because uh, you uh, – you know, it's not something you could bring your kid to, and your kid wants to see Marvel movies. Mm. Why is that not the case with this? Or, or maybe it is in a way. Maybe it is. It's really not. Um I mean, I resented having to tell him going in, but this was different than Deadpool. Deadpool, he, Deadpool was marketed in a different way, and he was really excited about that character. He really loves the character uh, in X-Men Origins Wolverine. Um, he really liked Ryan Reynolds, uh, and he was really excited to see that movie and having to tell him, no, you will not be able to see this movie, and then having seen it myself and going, yeah, you're not going to see this movie for quite some time. Um, it was really upsetting to him. I mean, it was really upsetting, and it was upsetting to me for that reason. Um, this w- worked a little better because he knew he knew leading up to it. I mean, we have a friend who worked on it, and so he knew that this isn't going to be even a possibility. So I'm not even going to ask. That was kind of the thing uh, for, for Logan. Uh, for Logan, really? yeah. Oh, did Daniel yeah. work on Logan, by the way? 
Yeah, yeah. He's a, he was a, a first assistant editor. Yeah. Oh, that is so cool. It hadn't occurred to me, but yeah, of course. That's yeah, right. he worked on Night and Day. Yeah, he's he, he does a lot of work with James Mangold. So, Sweet. yeah. And I think the editing in this is great. But um, but I knew, and he knew, my son knew, that's not even going to be a possibility. So I'm not even going to bother to ask. <laughs> I mean, he's, he kind of was just resigned. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing it and talking to him about it, today i was like you know it's it's rated r for a good reason because i don't think you'll like it yet it's going to be a few years before you like it because this is an adult movie but not an adult movie in the way deadpool is an adult movie this is an adult movie that i think will upset you in the way that the end of iron man 3 upset you but even more so um my dingus that is well played on your part i gotta say yeah (laughs) nicely done and so he was like spoiler did he so, see so Deadpool I, so, without you though? Like later? No, no, he's not seen it. I mean, the dingus knows. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was not going to tell you. <laughs> no, that's uh, why but see this. But I, I think that this movie earns yeah. its R rating, and I, I actually appreciate the R rating because of, because of the uh, nature of the movie. I have a different feeling about it, and maybe that I don't know if that's hypocritical or doublespeak or whatever. But I, I like the fact that this is this is a movie for adults uh, in a different way, but almost thematically. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stabby stabby and a lot of violence and all that, but mainly the R rating tells me, look, dude, your kid's not going to like this movie. <laughs> well, it is sort of – I mean I, I, I love that you put it that way, Dingus, because it is sort of that idea that this is the experience – that uh, someone who's 50 years old is going to appreciate in a different way than yeah. someone who is 15 year old, years old and is into the X-Men. Um, yeah, I, I like that very much. Kelly Wan, you said you felt it was even a little soft – or not soft, but you said you wish it was more R-rated. How so? I just thought the fight scenes um, were – I don't know. This could have been PG-13. It seemed like uh, – no, I think F- you're right. F-bombs, that whole Oklahoma City thing could have been PG-13. I think you're right. Yeah, I just think in a, in a real world, like this would be a PG-13 movie. Because language doesn't – that's not – I don't know. Like kids talk like that all the time. So. Even the uh, even the the you know the, the, the graphic like claws in the face stuff like that you think – That's the thing. Funny? It was That was the only one. Like that's well, that was kind of his signature move, but he never did anything other than that that was R-rated. It was all. Uh, there were some limbs severed and whatnot. But if he cut off a guy's ass or something like that, well, would be. Well, I mean, there's two severed heads. She tosses one of them, right? Yeah, that's PG. <laughs> well, no, I think I think part of it is the is the kid violence too. I mean, and Chris Markinson brings this up as well. Is that that kid the, the kid violence? I think makes a, a big difference in making it an R movie. Kid violence, uh, you mean performed by the kid, though? Right, exactly. Performed, yeah. okay. That seems kind of ironic, though, because the kid's doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're well, watching just, it happen because they're I mean, doing it's, it. You know, it's, it's like Kick-Ass being rated R. And, you know, you've got – but Kick-Ass kind of really plays with that by having her say, you know, the C word and, and stuff right, before the fight. Right. Uh, here's why – Kelly, wanna, you know, you, I – go ahead. Well, just Kick-Ass isn't very realistic. Like, it – and I, and maybe that's better and worse at the same time. But it's like it's not you're not supposed to go. This is what really happens if you, if, right. if you cut someone's face off. And Logan uh, feels realistic until the fight scenes. 
Well, I, I agree with you in that I wouldn't have minded more gore. Like I wouldn't have minded yeah. the idea of this is what claws do when you sweep them that hard and that fast through someone's flesh. Um, right. Now, that said, I, I'm sure there was a certain point they, where they were like, okay, we're going to stop at this line and not go any farther. Like they they knew they weren't making a horror movie. Movies partly fit in categories because of their tone, and this was not intended to be a horror movie. So on that front, Kelly Wand, I agree with you. I wish it had been more R-rated, but I think that it earned its R-rating not not for kid violence. I think it, it needed to be R-rated in order to do what it did with the farmhouse episode, and I feel mm-hmm. that that farmhouse episode is a, a crucial part of this story. Um, the the brutality of that, you know, the, this idea that there's a brief respite where, where uh, the father and the, you know the grandfather and the father and the little girl, the family. You know, who's faking themselves as a family. They're not a family. They're pretending they're a family. And here they have a moment of rest with a real family. And, you know, Patrick Stewart even has that line. This is what life looks like Mm. to to then ruthlessly annihilate that idyllic vision is key to what has to to what happens in this movie. And you have I mean, that's R rated. You know, if you are going to have this little boy shot and have this woman defending her son, have her throat slashed and bleeding, if you're going to have the father see all this and live through it and then decide that he's actually going to shoot Wolverine, that he's so confused and distraught that he just wants to kill everyone associated with it. Like if you want to push that through to the length that it goes through, I think this is something you need to say. Hey, if you've got a kid who's 15, 16 Really think about it before you take them to this movie or make sure you know this is coming. Make sure you're there with them. 15-year-olds can go see this movie. I'm sure there are plenty of screenings where 10-year-old boys are brought to this movie. But an R rating is designed to say, look, there's something important that we think you should know about. And I think the important thing in this movie isn't necessarily the motherfucker, although I agree with that being rated R. I don't think it's all the the violence, although I agree with that, giving an R rating. But I do think the brutality of that farmhouse scene is something that parents really need to know about, and it's a crucial part of this story. So I I think Logan absolutely has to be rated R. That's really well put, Tom. That's really well put, because that whole sequence, uh, it's kind of a little stomach-turning even to hear you describe it, because I was really upset by that. Yeah. Really upset by that. You're supposed to be... Well, of course You're you are. Supposed to feel I mean, traumatized, like he's traumatized. So that's what was. Yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the point. This family gets annihilated, and Tom, that's a great word, annihilated. And Man. I don't want my kid. I don't want my kid to see that because he got upset enough about Rogue Squadron. Um, I did. I don't want him to see this. I mean, this is this is too uh, just gutting. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But also, too, in that same sequence, Professor X gets hosed, too. So it's like, it's a major turning point in the movie. Well, isn't that kind of, in a way, a metaphor, too, for your uh, for what someone goes through when, when a parent dies? Like, yeah. it kind of yeah. annihilates your idyllic view of a family, and that mm-hmm. suddenly half of the family's gone. Um, right. Yeah, you know, yeah. In a PG-13 movie, that would have been the end of it, and the family, Wolverine would have gotten back in time to save the family or something. Oh, God, yeah. They exactly. get it, too. Yeah. So, so like Markson, Markson really likes the, the moment where he tells Charles, and you kind of made fun of this in your opsis, but how do you feel about that, where he tells Charles it wasn't me? Uh, I liked it. Yeah, I did too. I was just wondering if you, how you really felt about it. 
because Markinson was crazy about that. He really liked that. Well, it just makes it all the more horrific, too, is that Wolverine, not only did he let down this family and get everyone killed, but he, you know, he, he's worried that, that, that Professor X thought that he had somehow turned on him. Or Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but Professor X, uh, you know, the, the grandfather figure, as you put it, I think, Tom, you know, is sort of going through this. I don't know. It, 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 mentally, he's not all there. So oh, right. His dementia. Right. Yeah. 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 So he's not going to necessarily understand that. And and that's all the more heartbreaking. That yeah, yeah. Logan is leaning over, you know, kind of the hospital bed to say, you know, this is me. That wasn't me. And his father, gra- the grandfather, whoever that is, isn't necessarily going to understand that. And Logan has to understand that, too. Right, right. And that's that's heartbreaking given their history and given the history of, uh, across the span of all of these movies and the history that they've had together. I mean, this guy has been inside his brain, um, and now he doesn't know who he is, maybe. Yeah. And, he has to and, tell him. A guy you can read minds before. It's just a heartbreaking moment to me. I, I love that moment. I love that he leans over and says, it wasn't me. I mean, it's just such a great screenplay touch. It wasn't me. Oh, man, that he takes that moment. Now, you know, I, I need you to know it wasn't me. I mean, it makes me – it kind of almost brings tears to my eyes just saying it right now. Uh I just think that this script, and this is something that you were saying earlier, Tom. I think this script is really just wonderful. Well, and it's so it, it's it's a good script, and it's so um, economical, like in a way, not just with mm. the world building. Mm. For instance, one of my favorite moments, and this is a little minor thing, and Dingus, you have you used to when you do your Academy Award uh, uh, pool, had this thing about your favorite little thingy, and we've opted that, we've uh, appropriated that for our top ten lists, and one of my early picks for what might be a favorite little thing you know yeah one of my favorite little thingies the tag on the glasses as a bit of uh, also kind of character development is that showing that you know he tries his glasses when the reading glasses when he first gets them the tag is there to say hey he just went out and got these and where this is in the movie after Caliban has said look I know you can't read this label and he says fuck off and he leaves and he doesn't admit it you know he immediately went to buy reading glasses <laughs> like he and the, the, those are the reading glasses and he has them throughout the movie and at a certain point he takes the tag off but when he puts it on and there's the tag there that just says a lot about what he did after caliban berated him for not for not taking care of himself i love that little tag on those reading glasses uh and yeah the script is just full of little smart touches like that it's just really good writing and 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 james mangold just he just he knows how to implement a good solid muscular script like this. Uh, yeah. Even the excesses of the previous Wolverine movie and how comic booky it was, I feel like James Mangold. None of it was sloppy. Like I feel like mm-hmm. he's he's a really good director, uh, and I'm not sure I appreciated that. Like, isn't didn't he do Heavy that movie with Philip Pruitt Taylor? Oh, um, did he? Isn't I that his remember. first movie? I think because yeah, he was like some indie movie maker if I'm not mistaken. And here he is executing this sort of almost Whedon-esque level of appreciation for blockbusters with character development and diverse characters. And yeah, I'm just a huge fan of the script and what Mangold did with it. And previously doing the the Wolverine movie, which does have that glossy look to it, and then being able to do this as well. I mean, I think that's pretty nimble. Yeah, like I love the, you know, the look of that that fallen over water tower or whatever that was, Mm. that junkyard Mm -hmm. where they're holed up. Uh, just visually, that was a great bit. 
Oh my God! Driving Thank through the you. chain link fence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, James Mangold. That's what would happen when you try to drive through a chain link fence. Yes, it was beautiful. Uh, yeah. That's a great call. And not only that, but swiping the guys off the motorcycle when it's dragging the debris. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. nice. Yeah, very good. I mean, just the action choreography, those bits, and again, seeing that little girl flip around. God, the action sequences just—they took my breath away. I mean, it was just such amazing stuff. Um, okay, how did we feel about the callouts to Shane? Uh, uh yeah. Because it's just kind of a right? It's the same ending, kind of. Okay. No, I think More it's kids. good. I I really liked it. Do you not like it, Kelly? I do. I just don't like things that spelled out. I don't want to make those connections on my own. It was a little on the nose with how they played with it, and I, I, I kind of wish because she's quoting Shane at the at his grave, right? Like that's what happened at the end, isn't it? I don't remember. Did she say Shane? Yeah. Did she say come back? No, no, no. But she says she's saying a passage of dialogue from the movie, isn't she? Oh, okay, all right. And they've been watching it as well. Yeah. No, I'm. I, yeah, I. I'm not. I'm not sure it needed it. Uh, Shane is a classic, sure, of course, but I think it's going to be kind of obscure for a lot of the audience. I mean, I'm I'm 50, and I don't really know Shane. I saw it when I was a, a long time ago. I don't remember it that well, but uh, and I'm not sure also that the the sort of seminal story about a lone gunman saving homesteaders from the land baron uh, I'm not really sure that that's a significant thematic element here uh, to apply to the whole movie uh, now that said it does work very well as a setup for the farmhouse story um, yeah. you know where the 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 farm that where Eric Lasalle has that great little bit about uh, it's corn it tastes terrible. Uh, and no, you don't eat it. You drink it. It's in corn syrup. And then and there's that this idea of the the whole industry versus the family owned business. Like I, I thought it fit well into that. Uh, and especially right. how it, it just the outcome of that scene turns Shane on its head where, you know, not only is he not save the farmsteaders, but for bringing violence into their lives, they will try to kill him, you know, with that last mm-hmm. that dry fire that Eric LaSalle does with the shotgun. Um, but yeah, I didn't really need it at the graveside, and I think, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm with Kelly, and I thought it's a bit on the nose, and and plus, I just don't think I have that place for Shane in, in my heart. Well, I think I think it's certainly more topical and pertinent than bringing up Freddy Krueger. Mm, I'll give <laughs> you that. Lawrence of Arabia and Prometheus. <laughs> uh, let me just say this: Arthur Jelly really loved this movie, and he wants to know. Uh, did you guys think of Logan and Laura looked like Joel and Ellie from The Last of Us? Um, no. <laughs> I will say, at first, I thought they were going to do something with her being descended from Famke Jansen because she's got a Famke Jansen mm-hmm. thing to her. I right. thought that's what they were going for. Um, oh, and that's why they—that's why he says that she's your daughter rather than the DNA thing. That's what I thought. I don't think they were going for that, but just because she looks more like Famke Jansen than she does from a character, than she looks like yeah. the character in the video. No, that that said, Last of Us is also it's another example of this. I think it goes back to Little Miss Marker. This idea of the the surly, grumpy guy taking care of the little girl. Uh, Last what of is Us Little is, Miss Marker? I don't know what that means. Isn't that Walter Matthau and um, Shirley Temple or something? Where like he's a bookie and he has to take care of her. 
Oh, I don't know Kelly that. Wand, it sounds like something you would know. It's all grandpa movie lore, right, Kelly Wand? Uh, Bad News Bears, it's that. That's like Tatum. <laughs> oh, no, no, you're, you're, no, you're right. Bad News Bears, well, he doesn't really t- – yeah, but, yeah, you're right. It's the grumpy old guy getting won over by the child. And I think mm. – I could be misremembering it, but I know there's some old Walter Matthau movie and um, – Beyond yeah, Couple. Bad Santa. Yeah, I don't know there's children in that. Bad Santa – so Bad Santa is kind of a play on the that. Professional. A little precocious girl. What if the cute little girl was actually a sort of an overweight slob of a, of a kid? Yeah. Um, this, every Luc Besson movie ever. It, uh, sure. Yeah, with, with appropriately French sexual undertones. Sure. Sure. Oh. <laughs> but, but I was going to say Last of Us is a, a really keen video game expression of that. Like Last of Us has some beautiful storytelling, and uh, the character Joel in Last of Us definitely did, in a way, remind me of of Logan in this. Just grizzled, gray, super gruff looking. Um, definitely this idea of uh, masculinity a little bit past its prime. Um, but the little girl looked nothing like Ellie to me. Okay. Uh, right. Well, Arthur says he, he maybe he played the game too recently, but he couldn't get the physical similarities out of his head. But he, he loved the movie, uh, and he he thought it earned its R rating. Yeah. Uh, did anybody else? So uh, Chris Markinson, Arthur Jim Valala Jelly also liked it. <laughs> uh, we only had one comment from Chris Webb, but yeah, yeah. Markinson Markinson was nuts about this movie. I think yeah. he really really liked it. Yeah. Um, Wolverine's Canadian, so Kelly Wan, you would make that about nationality. What? I'm just trying to keep it real. Is Wolverine Canadian in this universe? Because I didn't get the sense he was. Yeah. Also, oh, 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 comic book nerd. This is I know. Here's how a comic book nerd would sound. Let me do an impression of one. He never once called anyone bub. So unreal. Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh, but but there is the um, oh, oh there is the um, what is he? What is, he says? Fuck off, Logan. Uh, which I think is is sort of a supposed to be a callback to um first class because logan's uh, or wolverine's uh, only him. line in that is right right off. And he also got it wrong in days of future past uh he also steals the cigars but we never see him smoke one uh, our rating <laughs> yep yep <laughs> well sometimes a cigar is just a cigar tom one two three not only you and me got one all right, I, I could seriously talk about Logan all night. I mean, I, yeah, I, I good lord, this just knocked me out. I am just, uh, you know, not La La Land level, but uh, this this movie is my new best friend, and I definitely want to see it again. Kelly Wan, it's early in the year, and we've got a couple of movies that I really, really like already. You know, Dingus, is it summer though? Is this now the beginning of summer? Is this the no. start of the summer season? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it is. Dingus sure like Triple X, I guess. Jesus. <laughs> uh, so, Kelly Wand, are you a little jealous that uh, me and Dingus liked a superhero movie way more than you? You didn't like it way more. I thought it earned its R rating and then kind of lost it a little bit. All right, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always jealous of you guys. I was jealous of how you guys felt about Rogue One. Or at least how Wait, I hated Rogue One. <laughs> right, I was going to say, right. You're let jealous me of that. Uh, I wish I liked it as much as Dingus did. I mean, I, yeah, I have a little envy there. A it lot sucks. of people liked it. It sucks to hate a new Star Wars movie after the J.J. Abrams one. Yeah. yeah. I was excited by the first shot. I went, oh, yeah, Rogue One, no scroll. And then, All downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, then they started talking. I went, uh-oh. <laughs> 
Throw right, let's not. We this is asked and answered. No more. Let's not legislate this again. <laughs> All right, I just wanted to bring Kelly Wan back into the fold, Dingus. Right, well done. Uh, All right, let's do a three by three of your favorite <laughs> overhead shots. Hopefully, uh, folks know the difference between a high angle shot and an overhead top down shot. It's 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 unique unique visually. You don't generally see things from that perspective, so when a movie decides to show you something from that perspective, it probably has a reason uh, or just something cool visually it wants to do. So let's look at those scenes. Those, those so scenes. real quick, just uh, set down the rules again because I, I, I remember us talking about this. It, it's supposed to be like a set shot, not a moving shot. I, I can't remember what we talked about last week. Well, a shot is just uh, something between edits, right? Like it's, uh, you know, when we talked about our favorite opening shots, one of my examples, or no, no, sorry, not our favorite. We've done that one, though. When we talked about worst opening shots, one of my examples was uh, uh, the Star Wars crawl. And even though there's moving bits there, that's one shot. It doesn't cut away. Uh, you know, Victoria, one of my favorite opening shots. The whole movie's one shot. So, uh, so basically an overhead shot and it can track because what what made me think of it was the bit in John Wick 2, chapter 2, mm. where you see the car driving around. And it's just probably a helicopter drone shot. It's actually probably CG uh, of a car driving around the streets. That's an overhead shot. Generally, the famous example of it is Busby Berkeley during musical numbers would cut to like kicking girls in a circle and it would look like a kaleidoscope. And that's mm-hmm. an overhead shot. So something from directly overhead. Uh, I even had to unfortunately rule out one of my picks. I went back to look at it and I was like, "Oh, dang, that's not overhead." That's so when you say thing. directly overhead, I'm I'm thinking top down, like at a ninety at a yep. ninety degree angle. Yep. If you want to bring math into it, there you go, Dingus. Absolutely. That's what I want to do because I, I kept thinking about like like shots of of cities and whatnot, and you said, "No, no, not that kind of thing." Well, you can do because that's like the John Wick shot, and I don't think anyone will pick this, but uh, David Fincher has a great example of that in Zodiac. Just this really creepy overhead shot tracking right. car driving around. Um, so but he also has just sort of interstitial shots in Seven that are very much like that. Like, just like setting up, like, this is the city and it looks like just a helicopter has been flying over the city or a drone has been flying over the city just shooting whatever, wherever we're set. If, it, if the camera, like, let's bring math into it, if the camera is pointed straight down, yeah, that's an overhead shot. You could definitely right. use that. That's but if it's if if it's, <laughs> if it's if it's if the ding is ninety degrees, like let's use that as an angle. It has to be perpendicular to the, the angle of the ground. There's a um, number, fucker. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the three by ninety seven degrees, like uh, uh, the, like the, Fury Road, right? Yeah. The three by three police will be on duty, and they will be bringing protractors. <laughs> Four or after. Start us off with your third favorite overhead shot. This one I won't get pulled over for. That's my theme. <laughs> uh, I'll be the judge of that. Ah, uh, get it? You so-called judge of that? <laughs> my number three favorite overhead shot. This one I'm pretty confident on, though. I'm, I really like the topic eventually. <laughs> At, like the first five days, I thought, stupid Tom. <laughs> Once you got some perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah, and then I thought, wait, 90 degrees. Um, so my number three favorite overhead shot in a motion picture, Ms. Dunaway, is uh, in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Um, Here we go. <laughs> Bill and Ted are dead, and 
they're like ghosts and um missy the hot stepsister of bill in the first one and then ted in the second one because she switches dads is having a seance with a bunch of crunchy granola types and so they're like sitting all in the living room and then she's casting spells and they're like hovering over and then they're looking down at her knobs like straight down I don't know that I can pull you over for that because I probably technically correct. Yeah. And they're like, dude, let me move over. <laughs> and then she sends them to hell <laughs> for looking at her knobs. It's still worth I it. I don't understand why they're called knobs. Yeah, they're not really knob shaped, especially hers. That's a good point. Kelly, who plays Missy? Oh, well, her name's something. <laughs> Melissa Sue Masterson's. The chick from Little House on the Prairie? No. Oh. Mary Stuart hey. Masterson? Is that who you're talking about? Uh, so Marthy, Martha Marcy May Marlene? Esther? Uh, fuck. Right. It has an S in it. So. <laughs> it has an S in it. Yeah. All right, well, Dingus, what's the shot? It's kind of almost it's as good as that on the same level. Your third favorite overhead shot in a movie. Right, there's no knobs in it because the doors in this particular scene are those those weird um, like lever doors that like like a cat could jump up and open this kind of thing or a dog could. Amy Stockpoint. That's her name, Amy Stockpoint. Thank you. Amy Stockpoint, and your yeah, original Stockpoint. idea was Mary something. Yeah, <laughs> we're close. There, we, there is an S in it, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Jesus' mom is named Amy. All right, so... Remember Passion of the Christ? Okay, what were you saying? (laughs) Speaking over it. All right, my uh, my third favorite one, I feel a little bit embarrassed about this uh, because it's it's, um, quite a simple image and it's uh, a little silly of an image, but I really love the image. Uh, so it's the uh, overhead shot of the raptor in Jurassic Park uh, after it jumps up to try to get through the ceiling when everybody's ah. gone up into the ceiling of the lab. And the raptor falls down to the floor and is in is, and smacks against the floor and curls up basically into the same shape that you see from the beginning of the movie when they've done the resonant imaging or the, the sonic imaging uh, of the skeleton of the raptor that's underground. So it's, 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 it's a direct quote of that fossil image, and you see it right there on the floor of the lab. And I, I love that because there's so much horror, go- <laughs> horror going on in that scene of the raptor trying to get at her, uh, get at uh, – is it Ellie, I think? Um, and it drops down, and then it curls back in just the same shape as that uh, fossil image. Kelly, Wand, you would probably remember the name of the actress who played the girl in Jurassic Park. What was her name again? Dakota Fanstons. <laughs> <laughs> she really uh, bloomed. My third favorite overhead shot, and I don't think I'm going to get myself in trouble with this. It never really... It technically sweeps through the 90-degree angle to the ground, Uh, but it's definitely the camera is an overhead shot, but it begins as an upside-down shot with the camera. It's above the ground, of course, uh, 
with the ground on top of the screen and the sky below the, the screen. Oh, and God, it's weird. You're like, you're like looking at it. I know. It's like you're upside down. You know, you just turn the camera over. Or you, it's like you're looking at an upside down picture. And you're not even sure what it is. It's just lights going in the distance. And you realize in a moment, oh, it's a road because these are street lights and there's a car coming towards you at the top of the screen. But as the car goes above you, the camera follows it. And it, at a brief moment is 90 degrees to it and then continues to track up like pivot where you're looking at a normal shot with the car on the ground and the sky in the air and the car is driving towards a city. And this is an early shot. This shot occurs twice in the fountain and it's an early shot uh, after Hugh Jackman uh, has been called to the hospital. His wife is dying of cancer and he is trying to cure cancer and he's uh, on the brink of a breakthrough and something has happened at the hospital uh his wife has also just collapsed and he wants to stay with her that night and it's really difficult but he gets a call and there's something going on at work and he's just really driven to, to, to you know to work to try to save his wife so he says on the phone you know i, I can't come in I'm, I'm staying with izzy tonight and then we have that shot he does indeed drive to work and it shows you know from an upside down overhead shot it it pivots with the car and he's driving in the city Later on, because fountain, the fountain takes place over different time periods with different characters, uh, when he's deciding to go kill the Inquisitor, who is spreading his ideology across Spain like a cancer, when he decides, yes, I'm going to go kill the Inquisitor on, the beha- on behalf of the queen, that same shot of him riding a horse. Again, the screen is upside down. As the horse goes overhead and the camera tracks with it, it flips around and you see him in the distance riding towards a castle, which is where uh, the Inquisitor is. So I love that whole overhead shot of the car or the horse passing above slash underneath the camera. Do you guys know what I'm talking about or does that just sound – is that is the map Boy, that just too weird? I don't remember any of that, but it makes me want to watch The Fountain again. All right. Kelly, why are you going to try to citizens arrest me? It sounds trippy. Well, there you go. Yeah, The Fountain actually has a lot of bona fide just static overhead shots where there's a lot of mandala imagery in it uh, where obviously Aronofsky was fascinated or Rafael Abitore who shot it was fascinated with a pattern on the floor or something. So there's actually a great overhead shot. If one of you guys challenged me on this, there's a great overhead shot of a mandala pattern on the floor and Hugh Jackman is waiting outside while his wife is being treated and he's walking in a circle around the mandala and it's just a straight down overhead shot there's a couple like that in the fountain um but in order to show you cool things uh they would put the camera high like that several times in the fountain so all right dingus your second favorite overhead shot or no kelly one sorry it's kelly yeah yeah kelly one you get to go first what's your second favorite overhead shot if i don't remember something i assume it happened so i'm gonna not pull you over (laughs) (laughs) it's the kelly rule my number two favorite overhead shot in motion picture history, uh, this is the one I'm the iffiest on, but I think I'm not dumb. It's in Temple of Doom <laughs> when Mola Ram falls down the cliff because he forgot that the walnut he was trying to grab was too hot. So then he bangs his head into the cliff a couple times and it just annoys him and then some crocodiles eat him. But it's like it goes down with him down the cliff so you get like a cool view of what that would feel like. And it actually does seem kind of cool, like a nice breeze. So that's my number two. Temple of Doom. Why do you like that better than Alan Rickman falling in Die Hard? Yeah. Because that's not an overhead shot, and he's taken, too, he's taken forever. Mola Ram's falling in real time. Alan Rickman 
It's like, he has time to shoot John McClane. Is that really not an overhead shot, though, of Alan Rickman? It's just showing down the, the length of the skyscraper, the Nakatomi. It's Bob. not it's an overhead shot. Yeah, but you're not seeing all the way to the ground. And yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You, of course, are. That's the whole. He's, that's what makes it horrific. You're like, oh, that's where he's going to fall. That's what he's got to fall into. He's going to fall that long. Yeah, but it's slow motion, so he's falling even longer than he's really falling. <laughs> right. It's, it's just like it's just like Judge Dredd did when he was a real dick to. Uh, 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 see, that was a drug, though. Princess uh, you Cersei. Can't remember who he's a dick to. Oh, Princess Cersei. Uh, What's her name? Lena Hetty. What's a dick to? No, dick about half a Hanway. I thought so. But also in that shot, Bruce Willis is unfastening a watch strap in slow motion, which isn't suspenseful. So that kind of yeah, jewelry management doesn't tend to have a lot of suspense. Yeah, that shouldn't take longer than shooting him. My next three by three is jewelry management. Watch parts. <laughs> First of all, did you call it a walnut that he was trying to grab? Yeah, it's a haunted walnut by an Indian ghost named uh, Kali Ma. Or it's Shiva. called a, it's a Shankara stone. How dare you? Wow. Okay. Uh, Shankara wow. Nebula. That's the one that Captain Kirk and, said nice in. And the CG of Mularam smacking his head against the rock is so horrible. Oh my what? god. That's how it would feel. <laughs> horrible. It's really it's realistic. <laughs> He's all Ooh. Damn it. <laughs> but in, you know, Sanskrit. <laughs> Because he's evil. It's the language of the devil. You're welcome. So that's my number two, Temple of Doom. All right, Dingus, second favorite overhead shot. Very exciting, Bill and Duff. All right, my second favorite. I've used this uh, this particular moment uh, in other categories, but I just love the overhead shot in 28 Days Later um, as uh, Brendan Gleeson's character goes to get the uh, bird to stop uh, pecking at yeah. the body uh, because in that particular overhead shot and I tried to try to avoid the because I, I didn't know if we could do tracking or whatever but there's one particular overhead shot where you see the bird the corpse and Brendan Gleeson all in the same shot and it's just a beautiful one picture shot of the three of the, of those of those three you know, quote unquote characters, because the birds pecking at the eye and that, that that's what shifts the story and to another level of the movie. Um, but that particular overhead shot, not the, not the movement of the camera down through the drop of blood, but just that moment where you see all three of them in the frame from overhead. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's just so, I, I don't know why it is. Maybe it's because of the dad thing that I have and the dad thing that's going on in that movie. It's just so horrific because there's so much danger in every moment of this movie because of how the stakes are as far as, you know, fluid transfer is concerned. And, uh, and something overhead is a constant danger and he's just so despondent and he's angry and he, and he's telling this bird, cut it out. And he kicks this, the the sheet metal whatever the sheet metal structure and you see from overhead the bird the corpse and his face kelly wand can't can you believe that dingus doesn't watch walking dead yeah oh (laughs) my second favorite overhead shot was actually not a complete overhead shot i went back and looked at it and it's not straight down, so I'm going to have to pick a different one that does the same kind of thing. But technically, I like the one that doesn't qualify better. 
And it's the shot in Jaws where – Wait, are you pulling a wand right now? No. Are you sneaking in two picks? No. All right. No, no, no. They're from the same movie. All right, all right. Uh, yeah, it's an example where I went back to look at this shot in Jaws, and I was like, oh, that's not an overhead shot. Well, I'm going to have to use the Consolation Prize one, which I'll mention in a minute. But the reason I think of it, the one I like better, it's not purely overhead. It's uh, it's when they f- first run into the shark visually, when it jumps out of the water while uh, Brody is chumming the water, and then they see it coming from a distance. And Spielberg has this awesome up-high shot where you can see the shark moving under the water because the property of mm. water is such that light doesn't – you know, you have to be up high to look down under the water, otherwise it refracts. Whatever. Uh, so Jesus the shark. <laughs> I love that you refer to the shark as jumping out of the water. I thought his name was Jaws. His name isn't Jaws. It's the name of the movie. His name isn't Bruce. That's that's what they fondly called a prop. He's a shark. He has no name. Uh, so at any rate, it's this great shot of them dragging the the shark. And why do you wait, Dingus? Why do you think? He does jump out of the water. He doesn't jump out of the water. It's not like he like breaches. He just comes up. He just comes up out of the water and then okay, goes how back you doing? down. That's that's what's how great it is. It the thing is, is it's a like jump he's, scare. He's I don't know. Jumping. I don't know about you. Like, it's hey, a I'm jump jumping. scare. You jump when there's a jump scare. It's not. A, he's not jump. The shark is not jumping. There's no thing jumping. Is, moving vertically through the water for a fish is what jumping is to a human being. <laughs> Actually, it's called flying. It's not even jumping. It's one up. <laughs> Blank fish. I can't. I can't stop thinking of how cute Chris Hemsworth was with that line about, "Do you know an aquarium is just a submarine for fish?" In Ghostbusters, that right there made that whole movie worthwhile for me. You're absolutely right. That's one thing that I will forever take from that movie. Yeah, yeah. And Kate McKinnon. At any rate, there's this great bit where you see the full-length shark swimming alongside the boat, and you can see the shape under the water, and that is super freaky. Like if you've ever been swimming, because that right there gets at what's scary about swimming, is there yeah. could be big things just underneath the water right under you, and you don't see them because of the angle that you're at. That is scary and freaky, and that one shot of the shark going by the boat – is I think the best example of that, but because it's not technically an overhead shot, it's angled. So there is another overhead shot, though. Well, never mind. But so the one I'm going to pick <laughs> is when the shark gets into the what's called the pond, a little off area off the beach, and there's a guy out there like a scoutmaster in a in a little rowboat, and he's berating the kids and trying to get... <laughs> exactly. They're trying to get the sailboat set up, and you see the shark coming, and the shark bumps everybody's boat and they all fall in the water and there's this horrific and this is seared into my brain this horrific shot it's straight overhead of the guy climbing up on the boat and the shark's mouth coming up underneath him and him getting dragged into the water and it's the same thing see the mouth of the shark and its eye and its nose like you see that freaky terrifying shark head coming up out of the deep and dragging the guy down it is terrifying that that is my second favorite overhead shot wow can my, can my kid see that yet yes yeah, it's see it all children should see jaws when they are my age and it will yeah. be as formative experience to them as it was to me <laughs> no i don't think it's scene where that the shark like drags the guy around oh really they did that whole yeah. thing that was just, that's how the shark treated like chrissy watkins the the, the girl he killed yeah. the first Mm. He really he messed with her. Do you know who's really hot in Jaws, Kelly Wand? 
I mean, uh, Quint. <laughs> uh, and I'd forgotten this. Watching the movie, I was like, man, she's smoking hot. I don't think I ever quite appreciated that. Uh, there's a there's a teeny little bit where the you know they've just had the fake scare where the little boys were swimming around with the fake uh, shark fin. They get caught, and everybody's like, it wasn't a real shark. We're okay. And then a woman sees the shark fin, the real one, swimming into the pond. And she gets up and she goes, sh- sh- shark, shark. You know, she feels bad about yelling because everybody's just been freaking out. And she's not quite sure how to approach this. It's a real shark. That chick is super hot. Do you remember her? No. I watched Jaws 2 this week, though, and there's a lot of hot girls in that trying to say shark. Uh, right. The, the, teenagers. Yeah. It's like the I first know. slasher movie. Uh, yeah, that uh, one of the chicks in that shoot. What did she went on? She went on to do some other horror movies, but there's a super cute blonde chick in Jaws mm. too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at any rate, my second favorite shot uh, is the shark eating the. I remember being surprised reading a book about the making of Jaws. They referred to that guy as a stuntman. I was like, wait, why? Why is he a stuntman? He just clung to a boat and got pulled underwater. Well. The That's shark's a stunt. He's yeah. a stunt man too. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say Pippet was really hot. I don't remember what Pippin looked like. I think it's just a shaggy old regular dog. Yeah. But you guys go ahead, watch Jaws again, and you'll be like, man, Tom was right. She is hot. You'll see. Uh Kelly Wand, what's the best opening shot in all of moviedom? Not opening uh, shot. No. Oh sorry. Overhead shot. <laughs> What's the best overhead shot? He's dead. We already know your best opening shot. Yeah, his, probably... his, his favorite opening shot is from Star Wars. Either that or Zapped. Is it? Ugh. Let me redo that list. Put Zapped back on it. Mm. Um, I consider this the best overhead shot and maybe the best shot. Ooh. But Ooh, wow. There's the shot in The Shining where it's straight down on the maze and it's cutting from Jack staring at a picture of the maze on the wall, which isn't going to do him much good later, <laughs> but staring at it. <laughs> and then the freaky music plays, the do 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 And then you, there cuts to what you think is the picture on the wall, but it's actually an overhead shot. You don't realize it is until you see specks moving at the center. Oh, of it. Yeah. Yeah. oh yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. And every time you see it, or I see it at least, you kind of you forget. You go, wait, that that's the picture. Like it does kind of mess with you. Yeah, the way it's cut, and, and then it just still slowly goes in and down, and then you see him moving while this while the freaky music's playing. So it's like he's staring down at them from his crazy brain. Place. Is, it's awesome. Very nice, Kelly Wand. I like that one a lot. That's really great, and that's one of the the changes from the book that I really like, actually. And I, I'm not I'm not yeah. a fan of The Shining. I don't like it at all, actually. The movie? I, I'm on the right. Yeah, I can't stand. You're I with Stephen King. I think, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm with Stephen King. I'm with her. Um, I, uh, I do not like the movie. Do not like it, Sam. I am, but I like the way that the maze is done in the movie because the idea of these big animal topiaries. Like as I like some, that. Sort of, no, it's it's just the menacing idea of it doesn't work as well in the book as I think it does in the movie. The thing is, you don't think you don't think bushes are terrifying? Uh, Come on, I'm setting you up for a joke about the president, the former president. The president. I know what you're doing. All right, all right. I guess you don't want to. I guess you know what. Compared to what we have today, they're not, are they? Yeah. 
It's nope. been eight years since Dingus had to worry about a bush. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but getting back to The Shining, if I'm I'll be reading <laughs> this online later. <laughs> um, All right, well, Dingus, what do you have that tops that? Um, this uh, this is the first thing that came to mind as soon as you brought up the topic, Tom. Um, my favorite overhead shot is from the beginning of The Untouchables. Uh, I, I love the way that De Palma uses that overhead shot to set that whole scene with uh, Al Capone. And part of this is set up by the fact that my kid is working on uh, a PowerPoint that he has to do about Alcatraz. Um, (laughs) He has to talk about like different prisoners who were in Alcatraz and he was talking about Al Capone. We were talking about different prisoners who were in Alcatraz and this just, you know, I had already been thinking about this because you had brought it up as a topic, the overhead shot and that beautiful opening shot of Al Capone, uh, you know, the bloated Robert De Niro as Al Capone uh, in the barber's chair. Uh, that that shot is so incredible. Now, um, it starts up above him, and there's that uh, – this is the time of Al Capone, like, uh, uh, text on screen. And then the shot moves down. I didn't want to do movement shots. I really wanted to do just shots. Uh, but then it, it goes down to him, and it – just sits there as the barber is working on his face, you know, is, is putting the shave, uh, the shave cream on his face and is getting ready to shave him. And as Al Capone is giving an interview to these reporters um, and, you know, just talking about he's manipulating the press basically is what he's doing. He's manipulating the press in Chicago and it's this beautiful, it's, it's just a gorgeous looking shot. Um, and it's also this idea, I think of Al Capone thinking that he's God uh, ah. and he's a godlike figure. Mm. And I, I really feel like De Palma is getting that idea, or at least that's the feeling I get. And this is one of the reasons I love this movie so much is that it opens in that way. And it's just the, the, the production design is gorgeous and the cinematography is amazing. And that particular shot drives me nuts. So it's, it's an overhead shot that then just goes down into a normal like side on shot. No, no, it goes down. It, it, it drifts down to his, to basically, I don't know, maybe four feet above him and then locks for a moment as the barber does the work on his face. And and then the scene goes on and the shot is over his head still uh, until uh, the barber accidentally nicks him when he's when he's shaving him. Uh, and then I think that's when the shot shifts. I see. So it's not like it goes down into the normal shot. It holds up there, this idea being that it's like his divinity in a, in a way, like his superiority right. to mortal men. Right. Okay. Exactly. Right. Because right. I was going to say one of the issues with overhead shots, and Dingus, I love how you're – and actually Kelly Wan's pick as well, your, your number one picks kind of address this, is it's really artificial. We're not used to seeing things at that perspective. Right. right. Right, exactly. And in a way, it's taking you out of a movie, right? Like if you're going to cut up there, and sometimes there's an establishing shot, sure, that's fine. But if you're going to cut up there for a reason to show me this completely contrived artifice that people don't – from a perspective people don't normally see, you should have a reason. 
right? Like the, and and mm-hmm. both of your your number one picks are really good at that and specifically uh, address that, um, which makes me think of you know Busby Berkeley's bits with with musicals is that you have dancing people and that's cool and everybody likes watching people dance in a musical whatever uh but then he cuts to an overhead shot and it's kind of gratuitous right it's like hey now look what they look like up here and you know i guess he's famous for it because nobody else really did that well it's not only that i think it's also this is what you can't see on stage right i think that's what busby berkeley is doing i mean when the first one of the first musicals i was in in college was anything goes and the director made us see a lot of those Busby berkeley things to give us an idea of the things he was going to do with choreography because he wanted to try to reproduce that backwards busby berkeley is showing you something that you cannot see on stage it's specific to movies only. You can't see it in any other art. Right, and he's also choreographing it specifically for uh, that shot as well. Exactly like you do, right. You don't yeah. see it on stage. There's no thematic on, reason, right. Except video, yeah, you, yeah. you don't see it on stage because on stage you can't see a circle from the side. It doesn't look like a circle. Exactly that's why right. stages have more present day. You're right. But, uh, so that's one of, you can see it from above. That, oh, Pac-Man's my favorite overhead shot. That's, how did you guess, Kelly? Yeah. That's my well, number one pick. It's a TV series. <laughs> So here is, however, where I do love this because one of the problems with musicals is let me lo- let me look at the dancers, you know, quick cutting around, and so I love it in La La Land, ah. and it's just a tiny little moment when uh, the the song is uh, someone in the crowd, and it's where Emma Stone has come back to her roommates, and there's this great continuous shot of them in their apartment uh, singing about someone in the crowd could be the one. Uh, to, to find you and discover you and and they're talking about going to this party and Emma Stone doesn't want to go and it's a great fun big scene and it's super colorful and all the girls are have their like their candy colored outfits and they all leave and Emma Stone doesn't want to go and there's a super playful little quiet moment where she's laying on bed and in, in on the bed in her sweats thinking about going and then it cuts and the music picks up and she has put on the blue dress and she's come out to to join the girls to go to this party and uh, uh, we see this. Uh, dance sequence with with uh, them in, in the in their cute old dresses and they're going out on the street. They're about to get in the car, and Damien Chazelle wants to show us this little bit of them in a circle with their colorful dresses, and they've each got a different a purse and and whatnot. And he wants to do an overhead shot, but bless his heart, he does not want us to not see the dancers. He respects the dancing enough to not cut away from it. And I love that about La La Land throughout. So when he wants to do what looks like a minor Busby Berkeley nod, the camera goes up and and doesn't cut away. We look down at them and then when it comes back down to them, it doesn't leave them. We're seeing them the whole time. Like I love that he doesn't want to leave. He, he never interrupts the dancing in La La Land, which I love about it. Now, that particular musical number, as the other ones, have different bits, and they're in different settings, and there he cuts. But when somebody's dancing, he shows it to us. And during the uh, uh, Waste of a Lovely Night sequence, which is all amazing in one shot, there's a point where the music is crescendoing, and they run towards – the scenery of the the like sunset city and they jump up on a bench and the camera's coming up behind them and it's about to sweep up over their heads and i'm thinking oh he's going to cut away now it stops with their head still in the frame and then Hmm. it tilts down and it goes back and it stays with them just when it it does like a fake out like okay now we're going to go out to the scenery and cut away and it doesn't and then there's even more of that scene dancing bits with the two of them uh so i love what damien chazelle does with the camera in la la land and i love how he works an overhead shot of these super colorful girls in their dresses uh twirling around in a circle 
which normally wouldn't make a difference when you see it from the side. So there you go. And my, my oh. vow is to try to work La La Land into every single 3x3 three three from now on. Oh, man, I love that pick so much because I, I love the colors in that scene so much. And, I, I, oh, man, I can see it. I can see the way you painted the picture perfectly. I love that. I love that. And I didn't think of it as him respecting the dancers. I'm so glad I never because I almost didn't see Logan. Well, I, I, uh, when I went to see Logan, I got there early enough. There's no dancing in this movie. <laughs> well, I got there early enough that I wanted to see the first part of, of La La Land again, to just sit through that in the theater. Uh, and as it was playing, I was like, yeah, I'm just, I'll go see Logan tomorrow. Uh, but I went ahead. I waited for a stopping point and left. How many times have you seen La La Land? Uh, well, we have someone's screener copy here, so I don't know. But in theaters, Six times, six times in full, but counting going like after a movie or before a movie or between movies to just sit in a theater while it's playing, probably seven in theaters. But as for paying and going and sitting through it once, six times in theaters. And that was all like within the first couple of weeks, by the way. That's, That's more times than it's even played in Germany. Probably. probably. You Germans, man, get with it. I know. That's Paul me. Wemo writes, hi, Tom. Hi, Dingus. Hello, Kelly. Oh, I got a hello. I don't know why he's so drawn Second. out with you. <laughs> I hope to put you over and get ahead with my picks this week. Oh, like you. <laughs> Number three, Time Bandits ends with, after the microwave explodes and destroys his house, an overhead shot of Kevin, played by Craig Warnock, I don't know who that is, as he wanders the wreckage, followed by a pullback to the blue marble of Earth, and then finally, the map. Oh, okay. good. That's good. I like it. Oh, Kelly Wand, here you go. Wait, wait, no, no. What was that movie? I missed. Oh, Time, Time, Bandits. Time Bandits. Oh, Time Bandits. Sorry, sorry, I missed that. Okay. Uh, I don't. Paul, you might be in trouble. It's not a microwave. It's a toaster oven. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> Dingus, nice. You tried to fit a science oven into it. It's not one. Mom, Dad, don't touch it. It's evil. Uh, what? Oh, might be in trouble for this one. Kelly wanted to see if you – he says, in the opening to the conversation, we get some tracking overhead shots of various commuters at the train station in San Francisco prior to closing in on our protagonist, pacing. Now, is that an overhead – is he talking about just high shots? I thought it was a high shot, but I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah, Paul, so. I think you might be in trouble. Microwave. It's not. We're looking yeah, – Yeah, first of all, for, yeah, for appliance confusion, second, not understanding – Overhead, although I might be wrong about that, but I don't recall because the whole point of those high shots when they're miking uh, was Frederick Forrest and Cindy Williams, I think, when they're miking them mm-hmm. is it's from Harry Cole's perspective up in this like – actually, it's not – he's not in the bell tower. He's down in the crowd. It's his helper who's up in the bell tower. Oh, yeah. Good point. Maybe he's right. Same it might player. be a different shot that I'm thinking of, in which case, Paul, you win. Here we go. Let's try this one. Uh, Paul Weimer's number one pick. Inhale Caesar. We get a lovely overhead shot of Scarlett Johansson mm-hmm. rising up toward the camera in the midst uh, of her mermaid sequence. That's surrounded, was rising. Yeah. <laughs> surrounded by jetting <laughs> fountains of water. Uh, not the and, only. <laughs> and dancers on the surface of the pool in a ring. It's not the only. <laughs> surface. I forgot Jesus. I do like that. And it might even be. I remember it nightly. <laughs> I also call that movie Inhale Caesar, like you did. 
all one word. In half. Yeah, Scarlet. Keep talking about her. <laughs> you pr- you probably call it exhale Caesar, I think, afterward. Oh, yeah. What else does she do in it? Samson Shum. I don't know that his name before. Hello, Samson. Says, long time. oh, yeah, long time listener of the podcast, but first time participant. Welcome. Wait, uh, what's his name? Samson uh, Shum or Shum, S H U M. We have a guy named Samson listening to us? It oh, could be. Our listeners have the best yeah. names. It is pretty cool, yeah. Yeah. If that had been the name of a character in a book, I would have been like, no, that's a stupid protagonist name that you just thought up to try to sound cool. Right, yeah. But it's a real person's name. Then. Too implausible. Yeah. Uh, he says, my first two choices came to mind right away, but he had to think hard to come up with a third one. Quick reminder to the listeners. We are professionals. We have been trained to come up with three picks for each of these. Don't necessarily try this at home. Consult your doctor first. If you cannot come up with a third one, that is totally cool. Send us two. Never feel obligated to come up with a third. That said, let's see how Samson did. So here's the one he had to think hard to come up with. Kung Fu Hustle. Oh, I love that movie. In the climatic battle between Stephen Chow and the Beast, there was a couple of overhead uh, there's a couple of overhead shots of the Beast lying prone on all fours, ready to yeah. attack with this toad-style kung fu. You could uh-huh. see dust flying away from his body when he was powering up. Yeah. Mm. Kelly Wan, do you like that as much as the Scarlett Johansson one? Uh, in a different way. <laughs> Number two, Samson <laughs> chooses Matrix Revolutions. Jesus Christ. Wow. <laughs> now we're in the refractory. Anime pieces. for white people. Anime for white people. The Matrix trilogy has multiple examples of overhead shots. The one I picked is in Matrix Revolutions, where Trinity, Morpheus, and Seraph – good lord, who is Seraph? Uh, uh, where the three of them were surrounded in Merovingian's club. Uh, while, while a deal was being offered, Trinity fought back and flings a handgun into the air. Then an overhead shot in slow-mo tracks yeah. the gun. Well, we can see Trinity looking up, tracking it as well. She would catch and point it at the Merovingian's head, offering a different deal. All right, cool. I love that Samson is giving character names. Thank you, Samson. He means to say Carrie Ann Moss. Yeah. yeah. I, I really like that. Minority Report, Samson's number one pick. The pre-crime unit was searching for Tom Cruise. Oh, he decides not to use character names here. The pre-crime unit was searching for Tom Cruise in the building he was hiding in after his eye transplant surgery. Ah, I remember this one. Robot spiders were deployed. Mm -hmm. The initial camera work was a continuous overhead shot of multiple rooms, right? Mm -hmm. That whole Mm -hmm. trick thing where you're probably shooting into a practical soundstage that has the roof removed, right? Uh, It would zoom in and out of each room showing what the tenants were doing before the spiders scanned their eyeballs. One couple was arguing. They would stop for the eye scan and continue the argument right after. Another couple's having sex. They would also stop their action for the scan. (laughs) What's the thing on top of the house called, Tom? The roof. All right. Why? What do you call it? You called it a roof just now. It's got a windmill on it. I thought this was another one of your weird... Roof. Yeah, roof. Wait, wait. Roof, roof. Mm, Which roof? (laughs) Roof. Let's go the whole thing, though. I think roof. Wait, roof. Huff. Roof is like roofies. It's roof. No, it's roof. You're, you, it is you, roof. Like, all right, whatever. The it roof is be. on fire. The roof is on fire. Roof. Eh, I don't know. I think they're interchangeable, Dingus. Okay. In summer school, Mark Harmon was Mr. Shoop. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know <laughs> Welcome. He taught at summer school? Yeah. 
All right, your different name is weird. You guys want to hear some crackerjack pronunciation? Check this out. Arthur Jinvalal and Jalali. Jesus. Number three, Inception. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is seen fighting one of Fisher's projections in an overhead shot that makes it look like they're fighting on a normal staircase. Ah, here we go. Uh, When JGL gains the upper hand, however, the view shifts, and we see the stairs are paradoxical Penrose steps that he Uh described to Ellen Page earlier in the movie. Yeah, it's good. Great camera work that uses an overhead shot to hide a neat reveal. Are you okay with that? I think so. I mean... Right. An overhead shot in like an Escher universe is different from an overhead shot in this universe. I would right, think. that's why I was asking. The rules are different there. So the well, 90, de- 90 degrees there is not what 90 degrees is here. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Also, in an Escher universe, the Earth only has a single circumference. <laughs> two and two equals five also. Arthur Ginvalala Jelly's number two pick, American Psycho. As Christian Bale chases Kara Seymour, oh, I forgot that was her. Ew, with a chainsaw, that's bad. He realizes he won't catch her, and he changes tactics. That's the part that bothers you. <laughs> I thought we he was didn't... empty-handed. It was okay. Yeah, sorry, what? I thought it was a power joint. It was okay. <laughs> sorry. I don't know uh, who Kara Seymour is. I, you just oh, made me on. think of the girl in uh, Moonrise Kingdom. No, that's Kara Hayward. Uh, Kara Seymour is Charlie Kaufman's girlfriend in Adaptation. Um, She's, I think, English. She's she's really adorable. Kind of mousy, though, but in an adorable way. Kelly Wan, do you know who Kara Seymour is? She's not the girlfriend, or she's not the one who shows her knobs in Adaptation, right? That's Judy Greer. Right, okay. Yeah, also adorable in a very different way, but, uh, yeah. Mm. Anyway, America. American Psycho. You'll, know, you'll never see these again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, her knobs yeah. are. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't believe I just said she knobs. Love showing them. Haha. <laughs> Tom said knobs. No, I didn't. I did not. I don't think it's I did. So sexist. What's wrong with being sexy? Anyway, uh, in American Psycho, so Christian Bale's chasing Kara Seymour with a chainsaw. We then get an overhead shot of him, and so he's changing his tactics. We get an overhead shot of him dropping the chainsaw down a tall stairwell. We only get the overhead shot for the drop, but it's a great image. So basically a chainsaw going down a stairwell. I don't remember that. That's the thing. A lot of these sound really good. I can't believe I don't remember them. Boy, overhead that either. That sounds really cool, actually. Overhead shots down stairwells, especially round ones, could be like its own topic. But the problem is, like like a nail gun, does a chainsaw keep running if you drop it? Oh, like there's a safety on it or something. Dingus, well, these no, are... your finger has to be on uh, your finger has to be on the trigger for the chainsaw to be going. Right. These are movie power tools. They work differently. Uh, movie power tools. What about ashes? Gangs of New York. Uh, there are several overhead shots in this movie. The one that sticks out for me is McGlowan's death. What? Uh, McGlowan. He's my favorite dwarf. In <laughs> He's from Hawaii. Super Scottish, too. When, he doesn't have a first name. <laughs> when the army's attempt to control the draft riots interrupts the gang war, Gary Lewis, who plays McGlowen... Michael Keaton really screwed those brothers over for the restaurant. I'm sure it Christopher Mintz Flats who played it. He charges some soldiers armed with guns, even though he has nothing but a club. He's predictably gunned down, and we see this happen from overhead which makes it look more like a firing squad. 
The image is very memorable, if not slightly over the top. Uh, and it's shot, and it's the shot I think of when this technique is brought up. Huh. Nick D, number three. Here you go, Dingus, the Untouchables. Ah, Nick D. Two classic overhead shots in this movie. One's the opening shot, but I picked the more violent, which is where Al Capone beats one of his lieutenants who failed to stop a liquor raid Ooh. over the head with a baseball bat. And we cut to an overhead shot that slowly pulls out as his blood spreads over the white tablecloth. Part of a team. Nick says he saw the scene when he was 13 and it freaked him out. Hmm. Number two. That's, a, that's good. Thank you, Nick. Uh, I was thinking the other. Well, anyway, go ahead. Uh, no country for old men. I was sure that in the scene where Sugar strangles the young policeman who's handcuffed him was completely shot overhead. But it turns out only partially so. There are a lot of cutaways to their scrabbling feet and struggling hands, but there's a clear overhead shot of Chigurh's demonic face that must have stuck with me and forced yeah. the other angles out of my mind. No, I can clearly see that shot because fa- he falls backwards on the policeman, mm-hmm. right? No, no, yeah. the policeman falls backwards on – Yeah, well, he's on yeah the he pulls him back, up, back on top of him. Yeah, he's strangling him from behind. Right, right. Then on that dude. <laughs> oh, Kelly. Number one, Goodfellas. Scorsese uses overhead shots a lot, but the one I remember is from when Joe Pesci is about to get quote-unquote made. He enters a room and looks around only to see it's empty, and before he can speak the words, oh no, he is shot in the head. We cut to an overhead shot of his body falling forward onto the rug. Mm. One of the mafiosos states, well, that's that. Mm. So true. I I had to talk to my son about Goodfellas today. yesterday, (laughs) Yesterday. Because Alcatraz, yeah, because Alcatraz, and he was talking. He was he's really he was interested in like doing some research on criminals and whatnot, and he was asking about that because I had brought it up for the smell three by three, and I told him about that, and he said, "You brought up that movie Goodfellas. Who's in that?" And I said, "Well, it's about this guy named Henry Hill," and he started looking up these criminals and just talking about it, and he he was looking up all of the different like characters and stuff online because he has to do research for this Alcatraz thing he's doing. And then at the at the end of this whole thing where I'm discussing the movie with him and talking to him about it and saying, you know, it's just, it's pretty hard R. It's not something you're going to be able to see for a while. He just did this big, when am I going to get to see an R movie? He's been 10 years old for 50 years. It's like a soap opera. Seems like it. But it was, it was just this great moment where he's like, when am I going to get to see an R movie? But that That's year's a good question. Be the best of his life. Yeah, Dan, when is he going to, and what will it be? I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know. It's you know, it's something that I have to talk about with his mom. We have to discuss. But you know, I have a friend. I have another friend who, who, who you know, I wrote something about this online, and he's like, "Yeah, I think it's time he sees Goodfellas." <laughs> I don't think it felt as good first R-rated movie for him to see. Kelly Wand, we have a friend who decided it was time to show his six-year-old son Alien. Ah, see, I want to know this. I want to know the six-year-old's review of it. Let's at least if we're get, if it's if it's too late to save the kid's mind, let's at least learn. <laughs> uh, by the way, we had uh, our, with our uh, 2017 fun drive, and at the end of the podcast, I'm going to read what movies uh, oh, likely to get wait. picked. Uh, a fellow named Chris Webb, who runs a Twitter account, that if you're not following, you should be if you've listened to this far into the podcast. Uh, the Kelly Wan Fan Club. Uh, he, for his pick, he threw in an extra 99 cents as a tip 
and he made a reference to he was hoping he could get some more Australian Joe Pesci impression. And I had what? no idea what he was talking about. Yeah. What? What does that mean? From what movie? I don't know. What movie did I do it? I was that's assuming it's the only accent that's kind of easy to do. I don't know, so, but we were basically we've been paid ninety nine cents, so at some point we'll have to deliver on that. During the opsis of the raffle movie, I don't, I, I don't know, I just don't know. We just got a ninety nine cent tip for that. All right, no problem. So I was just, just the work, tip. Work on that in the mirror, Kelly Wand. It's a ninety nine cent accent. And Dingus, you leave Pesci. Dingus, you leave those kind of references to Kelly Wand. Yeah, you're right. That's what am I a clown person. to you? Uh, uh, <laughs> Funny how? what? Just workshop that and, bring, and come back with it, and we'll listen to it again. I'll give it another run. Sign box. Uh, Chris Markinson says he's hoping for top-down shots. The camera doesn't have to stay fixed. Uh, no, it does not, Chris Markinson. So you're fine. Uh, number three, Dark City. Our first glimpse of John Murdoch. Wow. Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> I didn't know Daredevil was in this. <laughs> uh, is I know the guy from A Team was in it. Ah, right. It's an overhead shot with him in the bathtub with the room lit by a solitary light swinging oh, yeah. to the left and right. Yes. Murdoch mm. is illuminated by the light when it swings to the right and engulfed in darkness when it swings to the left. Yes. I can totally well, see I would, this. I would love to hear a um, Dark City Opsis with Kelly Wan doing a Kiefer Sutherland impression. Let's see. Do we have Dark City submitted? We do not. Mm. We do have – well, we'll see. Speaking of submissions, by the way, this is on the list. Chris Markson's number two pick. Uh, it's from two different scenes with the same overhead shot. In 12 Monkeys, there's a nice top-down shot of Bruce Willis strapped down in his cell in a mental institution. Huh. And then shortly after the same shot, only Willis has now – oh, and then shortly after the same shot, only Willis has now disappeared. And the doctors and staff are wondering how he could have escaped. Wait, right, which shot is that? Because <laughs> it's showing you the four walls of the room. It's again, I think, one of those things, if I'm not mistaken, where it's like a cutaway where there's no roof and it just. He's breaking the fourth wall. Ah, uh, except it would be the fifth uh, wall. See? And the sixth element. This is and another one of those sense. things that makes me want to see this movie because I don't remember that shot. That's a great shot. Great idea. And Here's a great one. Question. And this this one, this is one that, uh, that's kind of. I think this is way better than Kelly Wan's. Uh, Dude falling down a cliff pick from Indiana Jones. Thank you. Number one. <laughs> in Watchmen, there's a top-down shot that starts on the yellow smiley face button in a pool of blood on the sidewalk. Uh-huh. The camera then continues to pull back, and you can see a shopkeeper trying to hose down the sidewalk and someone walking with a sign that says the end is nigh. I thought huh. that went all the way up the skyscraper to where he jumped. Maybe not. That sign's where, wrong. Who, the movie just started. What do you mean where he jumped? He Isn't it the oh, well, yeah, he gets, the comedian he gets thrown out. out the window. That's a form of jumping. Okay. It's Just someone like else. shark jumps. No, it's someone else jumping you. It's like the difference between active voice and passive voice. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Okay. interesting. Runners up, gentlemen. Anything that uh, <laughs> didn't make the list. Uh, so there's the, the other thing that Nick made me think of from The Untouchables is when Nettie gets thrown off the roof by, you know, passive voice gets thrown off the roof by... So he, so he jumps. He he passively jumps off the oh, rope. Isn't it like Richard Lynch, that really creepy character actor? And he's base. Is it that guy? Is that his name? R- Richard Lynch? I don't know. 
Lynch. You know what? I don't think it is him. I'm confusing him. There's a guy named Richard Lynch who always plays bad guys, but it don't. It's someone who has that kind of weaselly look to yeah. his face. Yeah. 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 But there, there's this great top-down shot of him once he lands on the roof of the car, and there's that. I mean, that's that land on the roof of the car shot, like in right. the first *Lethal Weapon* movie. Um, but I, but I like it in *Untouchables* because it's in broad daylight. A lot of times when you when you fall off a building, a car will break your fall, especially if it's down into like a street. Yeah, it's a good idea to try to do that. And of course, I can't believe nobody brought up Shawshank Redemption. Oh. <laughs> I do. What's the overhead shot? Shawshank Redemption. It's him raising his hands to the sky as he after he gets out of the prison and the rain is falling down on him. Overhead, overhead shots with rain are weird to me because I'm thinking, okay, how big is the camera lens? Like the camera is is covering a place where rain should be falling. So do they like digitally render rain under the lens? Like it because the camera. No, like, I think it was probably practical there because because of, of how old that movie is. I think it's just because and also you know he's totally wet. What's the one where uh, John Cusack is totally wet, yelling at, at, up at his girlfriend's window in the – oh, Ethan Hawke, totally wet, yelling up at his girlfriend's window in the rain. Shoot, what is that movie? Say anything? No. Yeah, and the boombox shorts out, and he gets electrocuted. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, any other runners up? Because if not, guess what time it is. Mothman for- Prophecies had some good ones. Is that true? Yeah, I like that movie. Uh, Mark Pellingham. I think I, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a freaky. Uh, what's the thing he did movie. with Tim Robbins as the terrorist and Joan Cusack? Arlington like the, Road. Yeah, yeah, I like oh, that yeah. one too. I pretended that was the kid's name in it. <laughs> His name was Connor Kellywand. Ah, oh, it's always Connor. I always get I, confused about Arlington Road because I have a friend named Aaron who was always like, "You have to see this movie called Aberdeen," and I and I went, I, but I saw it. He's like, "No, no, that's Arlington Road. You haven't seen Aberdeen." What? Thingus thinks all movies that begin with the letter A are, are one movie. Yep. Annie. Annie and Apocalypse uh, Now. I mean, you don't. He confuses yeah. them constantly. Animal House. Avatar. That's how Kieran is going to watch his first rated R movie. Is <laughs> Dingus thinks he's showing him Annie, and whoops, he puts in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Yep. Literal whoops. <laughs> Kelly Wand, what is next week's 3x3, three three and how can the listeners participate? I'm really excited about this one. In <laughs> honor of St. Patrick's Day, it's Uh-oh. three best directions in movies. Oh, Jesus. Yes, three best directions. So I can't believe that I'm going to say this, but haven't we done that? No. <laughs> okay. I trust that if, all, if anyone on this podcast knows whether we've done that, it would be you, Kelly Wand. I was looking desperately. All right. Uh, I needed to finish, and I couldn't find it. If shots of erections in movies are jumping out at you, like Jaws the Shark, please send your contributions to 3x3 at quarter2.3.com. Anime peni obviously never qualify, so <laughs> fuck that, but yeah. That's next week. Next week's a lot. A lot's going to happen next week. Kelly, do you know what what movie we're seeing next week? We're going to see Fifty Shades Darker again. (laughs) But what movie are we going to see, though, to discuss on the podcast? Oh, before that movie wins the sweepstakes, we're going to see Kong Colon Skull Island. 
So if you see that and you have some comments, we'd love it when you guys see movies and write in about them. Uh, send those also to 3x3, a quarter to three, under a separate subject header. Oh, yeah. Uh, I guess that's what you wanted me to say. Yeah. forgot. Nope, yep, that works, Kelly Wand. Now, uh, uh, this is the end of the podcast, so maybe you know it's it's years later, and you finally got around to seeing Logan, uh, and you're listening to the podcast. Everything I'm about to read you is moot at this point. You will know by now what movie we covered for the 2017 Make Us Watch Whatever You Want fundraiser. Uh, if you're listening more close to live, uh, we will be drawing from this list next week. Uh, so far, here's how everything falls out in terms of what has the most votes to the least votes. Actually, let me go the other way around. Here's the least likely movie mathematically to get chosen all the way up to the most likely. And I'm just going to read down this list. Uh, next week, we'll talk about how many votes everything got. It's still open, so you've still got time. Uh, as Kelly Wan mentioned at the head of the podcast, send your votes in to uh, paypal.me slash qt3 or to 3x3 at quarter3.com, that account on PayPal. Because here's how it stands right now. Least likely to be chosen, Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, then Sing Street, Time Lapse, Spirited Away, which is arguably anime, Maltese Falcon, uh, Tim Elhaj tried to vote for a TV show. Tim Elhaj, we would love to watch the first season of The Wire, but I don't think we'll be doing that for this uh, podcast. So Tim Elhaj's next vote gets all of his votes, so he voted for Captain Fantastic. Ooh! Okay. Red Line, which uh, was explained. That's... It's, yeah, it's 2009 anime. We actually have a fair amount of anime in here, Kelly Wand. Fantastic. What? Yep. Kafka, the Steven Soderbergh movie. <laughs> Chan uh... is Missing. Big Trouble in Little China, Kelly Wand. And, and actually, he specifically mentioned when he voted for this that maybe, Kelly Wand, you'll finally be able to do with me that exchange between uh, uh, Kim Cattrall and Kurt Russell. Absolutely begins, not. Oh, I was going to do the first line. Oh, well, then sorry. Whoever, well, 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 you know what? We'll work on that maybe if it gets chosen. So Big Trouble in Little China is up. Uh, Arrival, not the Charlie Sheen one. Woodsman. Not waving, but drowning. I don't know. Millennium actress. That's anime, Kelly Wand. What the fuck? Tales of Princess. Also anime. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my Alien. god. AI. All about Eve. Also anime. Oh, Armageddon. Oh god. Oh god. Oh god. Oh god. Uh, paprika. Oh god. Never heard of Paprika. I know who Paprika, oh, paprika. is. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh. Do you know what that is? It's more anime, I think. Oh, good. It's okay. For Bell Pepper. Yeah, I, think really people, cool. I think people heeded my call last week. There's a really cool, uh, I guess she's Danish actress named Paprika Steen. Hmm. I'm in. Super hot. There's a, there's a movie, I forget the name of it, where she plays a school teacher uh, who's an evil alien in a hot chick's body. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why isn't that on there? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Maybe that is. I forget the name of it, so it could be one of these. Uh, Wild, American Psycho, 12 Monkeys, Slapshot, again for Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, so that should actually be even higher up the list. Ooh, whoa. For Red October, The Shining, <laughs> Crank. Wait, what was that last one? I missed it. The Shining, not the TV uh, show where there's shrub animals. Uh, what? Isn't there in the TV show? Didn't they go back to the shrug? Yeah, shrug? the one with Jake, the guy from Wings. Yeah, Jake Weber. No, what's his name? Yeah, please yeah, don't make true. me watch The Shining again, guys. Really? Come on. 
thing is, it okay. could be far worse. As a matter of fact, it's going to because check out where we're about to go. By the way, these next few that I'm reading, you guys' generosity is just stunning to us. And I just huge thanks to you guys. This really makes this makes a difference. It's super helpful. So these next few that I'm going to read uh, are more likely than the others. And I, I, again, thanks to you guys for these. But here we go. These are super likely. These have a lot of votes. Crank high voltage. Yes. <laughs> Hello, white man. <laughs> oh, a little Bay Ling, right? No wonder. That's the movie that gave us Bay Ling. That's right. uh, a little more likely than that, Brick. Here you go, Dingus. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, also, here you go, Dingus. Midnight Run. Oh, God. I've never heard of that. Something uh, for me, Jaws. Ah! Here's something, regardless of what happens, the drawing. As a matter of fact, when we do the drawing, I will have seen this movie. I've heard about this movie from uh, some freaking film festival, like, was it Cannes even? Uh, a film festival many, many months ago. Someone was like, dude, you got to see this. And I immediately, because I trust this guy, I immediately went on press lockdown. Unfortunately, I heard two words about it, which I'm pissed off at. Uh, but there's a, a horror movie called Raw that opens on Friday. And uh, it has a lot of votes, thanks to someone's generous donation. And then finally, the movie most likely mathematically to be chosen, more likely than any of the other movies, is Strutzek. <laughs> what? I don't know. What is that? What I think is it's that? A, is it an early Werner Herzog movie? I think it's also an opera. I'm not entirely is, sure. Is it a foreign mo- film? I'm assuming with that title. Let me just put it this way. Is it you, anime? <laughs> the words no, it's, to, it's a young adult fiction. <laughs> it, let me put it this way, Kelly. In the word that I read to you, one of the letters is a Z. Right. So, Strozek. There you go. Strokzek. That's wait, like say that. it your way again. Struff. Struffzek. Well played, Tom. Uh, so, yeah, thank you guys so much. So you got another week. Uh, even if we got no more donations, this would be incredibly generous of all of you. Uh, this is actually kind of an exciting list. I look at some of these and I'm like, well, I'd love to watch that again. I look at some of these and I'm like, well, I'd at least enjoy doing a podcast about this. So one way or another, I think we're all going to come out ahead. So join you know what us. I say when it's China time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, really we're, we're all downwind from you. See, Kelly, you're getting there, Kelly Wand. I have confidence that you can get off book for this at some point in the near future. Marlene Magdalene. <laughs> you actually, for the record, you did that correctly once. So I don't I, have to anymore. <laughs> if, it, if it had been a test and that was the actual <laughs> test, you would have passed yeah, that one time. Mary Martha May Marlene. Nope, Martha Marcy May Marlene. Son of a... <laughs> All right, join us next week for Kong Skull Island and our 3 by 3 of... Uh, erections. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Markolowski. <laughs> it's Christian Murawski. And we had Kelly Wand. Wiretapping Trump would only get you his tweets sooner. More like Adamantium. Hi, guys. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! 
That wasn't your choice to make. I'm Joe Pesci, and I approve this message. I'm a fan, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>